Welcome to Media Mavens, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss our favorite, or not-so-favorite, movies, shows, and games. I'm Pam. I'm Riley. Let's, Let's get, get started. started. Hello, and welcome to Media Mavens. This is episode 22. I'm Pam, and with me, as always, is Riley. Hello. How are you doing, Riley? I'm good. Good. <laughs> yeah, really yeah. excited. All Today's right. a good day. <laughs> and the reason Riley's so excited, and I am as well, is that our guest today is Frida Wolf. Hi, Welcome. y'all. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I was very excited that you said yes after I got drunk and sent you a message asking you to be on the podcast. Oh no, liquid courage! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I that's how I roll with the guest invites. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you did. Me too. I'm I'm very happy that you agreed to come on. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, do you want to just briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Frida Wolf. I'm a voice actor. I was formerly a sound designer for video games. Um, and I was not too long ago announced as the one of the two leads for Mass Effect Andromeda. So I play um, Sarah Ryder, who's one of two twins. And the other is uh, Tom Taylorson, who plays Scott Ryder. You know, I didn't even know male Ryder's first name until just now. Really? Scott? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been announced. It's totally not sensitive information, I promise. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it is. I just, like, I see the, the female protagonist and I just zero in. <laughs> Which is totally okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, well, s- before we get into sort of more of an interview about you and voice acting in general, we'll start with what we've been up to in the last week or two. Uh, Frida, is there any media that's been particularly blowing your mind lately? Uh, in any direction, all the directions? Yeah, go for it. Yep. <laughs> oh, geez. I'm always, well, I'm always watching something. I'm kind of, I'm one of those lame people, which is pretty much most people now who eats in front of the computer, and it's a bad habit. Because yeah. oh, yeah, you I just, <laughs> you work in front of the computer, you do your personal correspondence from the computer, you watch your meeting in front of the computer, you eat in front of the computer. It's basically you're in a relationship with the computer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is just how it works out during the week. I don't love it, but that's how things are. Um, <laughs> it's always going through something. Uh, and as of the last couple of days, I was just swimming through um, the most recent season of Marin, which is on Netflix right now. So that's Mark Marin. He's like one of the original podcasters of the internet. He's also a pretty well-known comedian, and he has his own show on IFC. And um, the show is really meta because it's basically him playing a version of himself. And uh, he's been an addict, and in the show he goes through an arc of addiction. And I think it's season four that's on Netflix right now. He goes through this whole... Um, uh, a typical addict slip and um, and mm-hmm. redemption and losing everything and blah 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 blah. Pretty dark stuff. Also really funny because you know uh, tragedy is comedy, etc. Yeah. <laughs> that and then as far as books, so I'm bad at reading lately in the last years. Which again, I think I blame that a lot of like being plugged into social media and being in front of the computer all the time. Because when you're in front of the computer, mm-hmm. you look at the monitor. You're not looking at a book. Yeah. Um, so I've ended up going through a lot of audiobooks, especially because um, a large portion of my job is driving. Um, yeah. I ran into Daniel Riordan the other day, and he's a he's another voice actor, and we were just chit chatting, and he was just saying how uh, he has just infinite respect for everybody else on a production staff and puts them before him, including the janitors, because the hardest part of an actor's job is driving. 
That's the hardest part, right. is driving to the gig and getting there on time and finding parking. <laughs> and as a result, a lot of us go through a lot of audiobooks. A lot of audiobooks. So I'm always going through some audiobooks. So um, most recently, I flew through Carrie Fisher's Wishful Drinking. It's only three hours. It's really short. And I was so mad. I was so mad. <laughs> one, because I never listened to or read her books prior to her death. And that's just, that's pretty shameful. And um, mm. friends of mine like um, yeah. Matt Colville, who you can find on on Twitter and YouTube, he runs um, a Dungeon Master advisory series. He's been yelling down my neck for years. He's like, you should read Carrie Fisher. You should read Carrie Fisher. You really like her. You'd really identify. And yeah, he was right. He was yeah. so right. Wishful Drinking is only three hours in audiobook form. It's really short. She made a one-woman show out of it. And I was so mad because she's freaking, she's a phenomenal narrator. I was so mad. Like, mm -hmm. she didn't. She could have, she would have been so amazing in animation and, um, and just doing audiobooks and just like basically any sort of VO. And she just, I mean, I don't think anyone ever asked her to. She didn't indulge in it, whatever. Also, she's like, it's like Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher did whatever Carrie Fisher wanted. Yeah. And she didn't want to do that <laughs> stuff, you know. Like if she was invited to, um, Clone Wars or, um, whatever and she said, no, that's her prerogative. Who knows? I don't know. But she's freaking great. And, um, mm -hmm. So she did. Uh, she did perform "Wishful Drinking." I also got "Princess Diaries," which was her um, last release, and she also narrated that audiobook. So I'm looking forward to getting to that. So that's where that I'm sounds... at with my media consumption. <laughs> awesome. I didn't realize that's... that she narrated her own books. She's really damn good too. I mean, I've listened. I've listened to other authors read their own stuff, and sometimes I think it's just out of vanity because they're not good, <laughs> and no one in their sphere has the balls to tell them, hey, you should you should pay someone else to do it because they'll do it better and you're kind yeah. of pooping on your own work because you're not you're not you're just not capable of presenting it in the best light because you're being a big egotistical baby and you know, no one <laughs> wants to tell you no and make you throw an artist tantrum. Um but she Carrie was legit. I mean also obviously genetically blessed, crazy crazy talented actress on and on mm -hmm. and on but she's yeah she's great she actually she does the thing too that i prefer with audiobooks and i've i've listened to quite a lot now um audiobook narrators tend to come in one two forms either they read you the story but really flatly like almost like a siri like mm -hmm. and then she mm -hmm. laughed she turned around and walked through the door angrily and said i'm never coming back like like it's being read to you by a reanimated corpse versus <laughs> someone who you know partially performs the work for you yeah and not, mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean doing voices that just means like there's an inflection change when there's an emotional change in the story and that's a lot more vibrant and a much more entertaining performance for me and she did that on her own work where she she laughs through lines that are funny and you can hear her pain when she talks about you know serious stuff and that just uh that that just for for me as an audience member just lets me know that she's going through it with me for me for my benefit. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that more. So yeah, definitely grab any Carrie Fisher book. Apparently she just read them all and they're all on um, Audible or wherever you can get an audiobook. That's awesome. I don't uh, listen to a lot of audiobooks. I mostly just read on my Kindle, but knowing that she is the narrator for them, I definitely want to check them out in that format. She's also just good. Like I can't say it enough. It's not that common that the author is good at reading their own stuff. Yeah, I'm not surprised that she's good. But. <laughs> yeah, of course not. All right, so Riley, what have you been 
watching, reading, listening to? Uh, so last weekend in uh, Heroes of the Storm, all of the heroes were free. So Ooh. I played a bit more of that um, and leveled up some more heroes. So that was good. Um, and then uh, last weekend was also uh, Spawn on Me, their uh, Spawn for Good, their third year of doing uh, like a streaming fundraising um, event. So uh, Pam and I were actually over at my place and we played uh, we played like a couple of the Jackbox games um, like Quiplash and uh, I can't Murder remember. Murder Trivia Party. Yeah, that one. Um, and we learned really quickly uh, to turn on like <laughs> all of the uh, uh, like options to make it so that people can't uh, be assholes on the stream with you. Yep. Yeah, don't let strangers play in your games. Yeah, they can be assholes. <laughs> um, so that was a good learning experience. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and then we also played um, a really cute uh, couch co-op game uh, called Overcooked, where basically you play these little cooks, and each level you have to make uh, like different food orders and stuff. Um, <laughs> And it was really difficult as well as also really cute. <laughs> yeah, it was really cute. It really, it's meant for co-op and it really requires coordination because all the levels do something weird. Like they shift around so your ingredients move or your stove moves and you have to communicate in order to get the orders out right. Yeah. Um, and the, my boyfriend actually bought it so we've been playing it. Uh, we played it yesterday uh, for like three or four hours <laughs> oh nice <laughs> um so i tried yeah. playing it single player because i wanted because i was pretty sure we were pretty close to the end so i tried it single player and it was terrible oh. so what you're supposed <laughs> to do in single player is split your controller so the left side of it controls one person and the right side of it controls another person Yikes. and that that just broke my brain oh, and i quit <laughs> that sounds awful <laughs> That all sounds like like years ago. Oh, God, how long ago? More than 10 years ago. So, like, 13 years ago, I would play Mario Party with two different different men I was in relationships with. And, I mean, also, I'm in neither of those relationships now, if that tells you anything how Mario Party went. Yeah. (laughs) This is a real... I mean, if you can play for multiple hours in a a control-sharing game, you've you've got a solid, solid relationship there. Yeah, that's true. No one likes playing Mario Party with me because I beat them, and then I then I'm a real asshole about winning too. <laughs> yeah, that makes it that makes it a, a lonely Mario Party. Yes, <laughs> you could do that with Octodad too. With Octodad, you could um you could split up the parts so you could have up to four players and each controls a limb. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's see. And then aside from uh, video games, I started watching the Netflix uh, Lemony Snickets series of unfortunate events with neil patrick harris and uh patrick warburton he's the he's lemony snicket he like narrates everything oh i didn't Mm -hmm. know warburton was in it that must be amazing it's it's so good um i'm only three i think three episodes in um but it's great like it's 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 dark but at the same time it's still still got a pretty good like level of humor um um to it it kind of reminds me of like early Tim Burton stuff but without like the really wacky kind of tone to it Mm -hmm. um 
And then I also watched and like completely binged on this other show uh, called Atelier. Um, and it's a Japanese Netflix show um, about uh, like a custom lingerie shop. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of about like, I want to say like sisterhood, but also um, kind of how lingerie can make you feel like a really well-made and well-fitted lingerie can make you feel like really powerful and um how how your clothing can can help you feel you know a little more empowered to be doing stuff and even though it's hidden it's still a really important part of you um so that was a really uh interesting show um and it was pretty quick to burn through it was like maybe 13 episodes so it's a good watch. Um, and like, uh, again, like I've been watching a bunch of like Korean dramas. So seeing kind of the difference in uh, like cultural stuff that's happening too is really neat. So yeah, that's all I've been up to. Trivia awesome. to do with nothing. Um, so I don't know if it's if it's privy to your age group, but did you guys ever watch Aliens? Uh, yes. So like Sigourney Weaver Aliens? Yeah. 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 Okay. So you remember Vasquez? The Latina. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Vasquez was played by Jeanette Goldstein, who was a white Jewish woman <laughs> uh, who was who was painted in brown to be Latina. But I can forgive her because oh. she did an amazing job as Vasquez. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I was it's like one of those things like um, like Aziz Ansari does a, an amazing rant in um, in Master of None about how yes. betrayed he felt when the one Indian guy in short circuit was revealed to be a white guy in brown face. Mm-hmm, but like, yeah. but like, did an amazing job. That's how I felt about figuring out Jeanette Goldstein, who played Vasquez as a white lady. But she also did an amazing job. So it's like, uh, well, fine. Um, <laughs> but Jeanette uh, now runs a couple shops in LA where she sells lingerie, lingerie, and um, plus size lady bras um, for oh. bigger cups. And I didn't realize this because I went. It's called Jeanette, <laughs> and I went, <laughs> and she actually. <laughs> fitted me so Jeanette Goldstein slash Vasquez has seen me topless and sold me bras and and like I'm the I'm like the big the biggest aliens Vasquez fan so it's probably better that I didn't put that together until after I got home oh okay yeah that could have made it awkward yeah so you're like man I loved you in aliens and she'd be like okay let me just take your measurement right while I'm swinging around free knocking stuff over so yeah so Vasquez is also pro underwear cool Ah, that was a really Excellent. neat, like, aside. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a good story, yeah. <laughs> what about right. yourself, Pam? I've been watching and listening to a lot of really good stuff. Like, real real world stuff has been kind of shitty for the last <laughs> little while. Um, but I've been watching really good media to try and make up for it. So I watched Crazy Head, which is another Netflix show. And it's sort of like a combination between Buffy and, like, Shaun of the Dead or Attack the Block. It's a British show about these two girls, and one of them is, like, a seer who can see demons, and the other one is also a seer, but she is a half-demon herself. And it's just about these two girls and how they form this really good friendship, all the while fighting the forces of evil. And it's really funny. And it's really nice and very, very woman-focused, so I I really liked it. And it was only six episodes, so I think if you haven't seen that, definitely 
put that on your list to watch. Hmm. Netflix uh, is, is dominating. I mean, Netflix and Hulu really and um, and Amazon with the original series. Like I cut the I cut the cord to cable TV <sighs> nearly two years ago. I don't miss mm-hmm. it. I gotta say, yeah, I don't miss either. it at all. We did that uh, six months ago. Yeah, and haven't like we haven't even turned the TV on except to like to use the PlayStation or something. Yeah, yeah. So. I can't keep up with the television that's available to me. <laughs> no, no. There's there's too much to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. I need to get onto the Amazon thing because I think that just became available in Canada. It wasn't before. Mm. Ooh. So. so the thing I like um, about Amazon Prime TV is aside from all the TV movies and Amazon Originals and stuff, it's also where if you really want to get HBO, Showtime, uh, and Stars, you pay for additional um, uh, subscriptions through there. So for example, through Amazon, I pay like 7 or eight ninety nine a month for... Um, stars for Outlander and their other shows. And also, like, through Stars and HBO, if you pay for those additional subscriptions, you also suddenly get whatever licenses of bajillion movies that they're paying for that month. Hmm. You know, and it's usually, like, new releases and whatever else, so... Pretty handy. So, again, like, I can't I can't watch all the TV I'm paying for now. Yeah. <laughs> at a fraction of what I was paying for cable, so... Bye, cable. Uh, the other show I've been watching, or I finished watching, is called Chewing Gum, and it's another British comedy show on Netflix um, by Michaela Cole, and it's about this 24-year-old woman who grew up in a very religious household, and she's a virgin, and she decides she wants to learn more about the world and go have sex, and it's sort of her, her journey to go out and have sex for the first time and it's also quite hilarious so that one's 12 episodes i think actually no only seven episodes i remember i watched it while i built my bed (laughs) (laughs) uh so that was another good one and then i listened to a podcast series called limetown and it's probably one of the best podcasts i've ever listened to it's just like a limited run and it's sort of like a radio drama it's done in a documentary style but it is fiction and it's about this town and research facility that the town surrounds called Limetown and one day 10 years ago everyone in the town just disappeared so the journalist who's narrating everything is trying to find out where everyone went and she's interviewing uh, people who were sort of involved on the outsides or people who were family of people who disappeared. And it's so, so good. I think I listened to the whole thing, like basically back to back. The episodes are only 20 minutes or so. And it was amazing. Ooh. Yeah. It I was, like the uh, shorter episodes. That's nice. Yeah, me too. It's uh, it's super good. I I think I liked it even more than the first season of Serial. So if you like that stuff, but don't mind that it's fictional, uh, definitely Limetown was amazing. And I think they're writing a book about it now. Huh. Uh, and then the last thing, which is sort of the least awesome, but <laughs> not bad, <laughs> is I started playing ReCore which is a sort of Metroid-style game, although I say that even though I've never played a Metroid in my life, but that's what people tell me, (laughs) Uh, where you play... It's the one where you're the girl and you have the robot dog, 
Oh, and I remember on, seeing the previews for it. Yeah, you're on this planet, and you're trying to sort of save it from these other bad robots. And it was pretty good. I really, really enjoyed the first few hours of it. It's got pretty fun combat and really great platforming. But then I finally got to the part where all the reviewers were complaining in that there are these... Um, like gates to the final content so Mm -hmm. i got to the final dungeon and i was only level 18 it was like nope you need to be level 20 so i had to leave the dungeon go back level up and then once you get to a second level it's like oh and now you need to be level this and you need to have this many of the collectible that you've been getting all game so apparently it does that for all five levels of the dungeon which is a very very bad design (laughs) But other than that, the game was fun. I don't know if I'm going to finish it, though, because it's pretty, uh, it, that's pretty annoying that I'm going to have to sort of, I'm ready to be, you know, on my way to the end boss. I don't want to go back and farm things. Ugh. I think completionists are masochists. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a completionist, and then I slowly turned into someone who, who just can't do it anymore. <laughs> The faster I can smash through a game, the better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes! Murder hobos unite! Yeah! Yes. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... I always think of, you know, game reviews and people saying, oh, this game's too short. And I was like, anytime a game is criticized for being too short, I'm like, I want to play that. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Good, I'm glad, because there's, there's definitely... um. I wouldn't say it's a movement. It's just, uh, I mean, just ignorant, ignorant gamers who try to equate a monetary value based on a random component of a game, be it mm-hmm. hours played or, mm-hmm. I mean, so like I was in the park, um, which is made by Funcom and, um, I like to squat on Twitch, Twitch streams, um, when a game that I'm in comes out just, and yeah. I'll just spend like a couple hours watching people's reactions and stuff. Cause it's fun. And uh, one guy was like, this is not worth the money. There were not enough jump scares in this game worth paying $20 for. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that you had to meet a jump scare quota to sell at a potent- at a certain value. That's, wow, that's interesting. And then you see that repeated in stuff like if, if the game didn't have this many playable hours, then it's only worth this amount of money. Just like non- yeah. nonsense math. Yeah, that's been going on for a while, and mm. especially with indie games, I find it, people are just like, oh, I can't believe they're charging $15 for this when it's only three hours long, and it's like, I don't know, compare it to anything, compare it to going to a movie, and now I do live in Toronto where everything's expensive, but it cost me almost $20 to see a two-hour movie, so would I play that for a game that I can play again later like definitely i would you should write a letter to the movie studio saying that you demand more movie for your money <laughs> i should yeah you really should mm-hmm. they should change the uh admission price based on the length of the movie <laughs> actually i like that <laughs> or actually you know what the pricing scale should be based on the rotten tomatoes metacritic score oh, oh there's a good one have it on a sliding yeah. scale so like the lower a score the less you pay mm-hmm I like that. I See, like that. We can spin this any number of ways of how people <laughs> don't want to pay for art. Yes. Yep. I've always, I don't know, I'm always willing 
to pay for things, especially the smaller indie games, because first of all, I think they need my money more, and they're also better experiences. Like, uh, say, I don't know, The Witcher 3. You know, you could probably play that game for 300 hours if you wanted to, but you enjoy all 300 hours of them. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Did you play it for 300 hours? I played it for over 100 hours. Jesus. Yeah. Ugh. Although well, I guess that's like Bioware games. I have definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the same way that like I eat probably most of my meals in front of the computer. Also, anytime I'm in front of the computer and eating, that's when I play Hearthstone. And mm. I don't, Hearthstone's uh. not on Steam, so I don't know how many hours played, but it has to be, thank you, lawnmowers. Apologies for that. Oh, it has sorry. to be in the thousands of hours by now. It has to be just because it's it's literally every time I'm on like, my equivalent of a smoke break i don't smoke but you know just like i need 15 minutes or um or eating i'm on hearthstone like hearthstone's in one monitor and some sort of television is in the other monitor (laughs) and that's how i how i do my breaks um and i've not paid one dime not one dime for hearthstone ever that's pretty good i earn all my card packs through through doing dailies Nice. Yeah, I yeah. I have spent money on our stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so so what I'm saying is like based on how many hours I've put in and then the general metacritic of of Hearthstone I probably owe it a few tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> if we're going by that scale. Whoops. <laughs> don't tell Blizzard. No, you, don't <laughs> Blizzard. you don't tell Blizzard, don't tell Blizzard. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to the interview portion of the show. Uh, Riley, did you want to kick it off? Okay, uh, so the first uh, question that we had um, is kind of like a general uh, like voice actor, voiceover uh, question. Um, like how, how does the, the process work um, for getting... Uh, for getting jobs? Do you get a call from an agent with a script or do you kind of seek out what you want to what you want to work with it's a really adorable notion and i've seen uh <laughs> other people submit questions to interviews like so what attracted you to the role of, of sarah Ryder? is like <laughs> do, do you have a fascination with space spacesuits <laughs> all actors regardless of experience or notoriety level audition the job is auditioning every day once in a while you get paid for it when you're cast but the job is auditioning and it doesn't matter i mean you can there's plenty of interviews out there with like even if you're a household name all those actors still have to come in and do an audition on camera in a, in a dry room in front of a video camera um sometimes not even opposite another actor sometimes just opposite like a producer or a casting person or a production assistant who just sort of stares at them glumly and gives dry lines and you have to act opposite that and then say thank you very much and go home and forget about it and then mm-hmm. go do the next one so for voice actress it's exactly the same except we're on a pretty crazy hamster wheel like my favorite thing to say is that I get fired every day because I do <sighs> because all my all my relationships and all my jobs are in one to four hour increments every I mean even for something like Mass Effect where you know it's several sessions each of those mm-hmm. sessions is his own individual contact or contract. Each one is his own individual job. Oh. Um, and oh. then I'm fired with the option to rehire again if they feel like it. But no harm done. Like the only thing anybody owes a voice actor is money for time spent in the booth. 
and whether they choose to use those assets after we've recorded is none of our business and not our problem. Um, so we get back. I, I, I'm very, very lucky. I jumped in at a, at an amazing time and didn't have to suffer like, uh, some of my coworkers had to suffer. Um, in the last nearly 15 years since the advent of, um, you could set up very easily with a, a USB mic and record at home with, with cheap or nearly free, um, excuse me, software and submit auditions. Um, back in the day, like it, audio was very, very, very exclusive to the few elite who either had, um, money or worked somewhere. Like you had to get an, an, an a separate hard drive to run pro tools because no computer could run pro tools and pro tools is extremely expensive, for example. Um, and that's all gone away in the last 15 years. So previously, about again, about 15 years ago, you still had to go into your uh, agency every day and wait in line with your other voice actors in a waiting room for your turn to go in the booth at your agency and do auditions. Hmm. And uh, however, however many hours you had to wait while, you know, missing out on life or opportunities or errands or being with your kids or whatever... Meanwhile, if you are at a bigger agency and a celebrity client came in, you would just as quickly get bumped and be made to wait that much more, that many hours because a celebrity came in and they wanted to record their voiceover stuff now. Oh. I missed all that. So very luckily for me, I came in at a time when I can record from home cheaply. Um, now we get auditions uh, every day from our agents in email form. And sometimes they're like same day turnaround. Like we get an email and it's, it'll be for um, like a, a nighttime talk show, like Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Colbert, all those guys, at least, you know, like on American TV, they'll do nightly skits mm -hmm. and those skits get written during the day and sometimes cut and sometimes they need voice actors. And so in the morning we'll get auditions for those shows and um, the audition will say, you can't leave. If you have a home studio, you can't leave your home studio for the next five hours until this has been cast. Because they might call you in to record or might re-record it or whatever. Um, wow. Yeah. So you have to be on it. And if you miss the opportunity, you miss it. And that's fine because tomorrow's a new day and you'll get a whole new batch of emails. So a typical voice actor's day is um, our day is broken up traditionally. Um, the, max, the maximum uh, that you can hire a voice actor for is four hours in a contract. After that, it's time and a half for pay. But, I mean, people are exhausted their vocal cords are exhausted. You're, you've lost the energy. You don't want to work an actor for longer than four hours anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So our day is traditionally broken up into maximum. Say, let's, let's say I've got uh, two game sessions in a day and they've both maxed me out for four hours. So the first one will start at 9 a.m. and go 9 to 1. And then uh, from 1 to 2 is my time to drive to the next session, wherever <laughs> it is, and get there on time, hopefully, and shove something that, that assembles food in my mouth. I've just given up. I just drink liquid hipster now, so I'm just on Soylent because I, there's no, there's, I there's no time. There's no time. Soylent. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no time to get food. Like, I've got I, – I shame myself on, on Twitter because I've had stories where, um, like, the last time I tried getting food between jobs, I had just enough time to get to my favorite cafe and get a latte and get a sandwich – but I got to the next gig like 10 minutes before. So I had yeah. less than 10 minutes to shove it in my mouth, which isn't good for oh. your digestion, isn't good for your throat, and isn't good for anybody in the room. And um, it happened to be an ensemble animated show. 
and uh, and television. Stephen Weber, who some people remember, he was on a show called Wings, and he's done a ton of other things, and he's very handsome, mm-hmm. and he's older now, and who I recognize, and who I grew up watching, comes in, says hi to everyone, and he goes to introduce himself to me, and he's like, hi, I'm Stephen, and I just said, hi, I'm BLT hands, because my hands <laughs> are covered in my greasy BLT, there's food falling out of my mouth, and I was like, oh, this no. is the last time I try to eat between jobs. I give up. So, yes, now I drink soy. They should just sponsor me. They should just sponsor Hollywood. <laughs> it's really not just for programmers. Just, there's just no freaking time. Um, so, yeah, you, so you have an hour between one to two. You get to your next job, and then we work from two to six. And then most all recording studios, with with few exceptions, again, unless they want to pay time and a half, because um, every recording gig isn't just paying for the actor. They're paying for the engineer. They're paying for the studio time. Um, if they've hired a booth director to be there, they're also paying for them. So everybody's on the clock. Um, and if you don't stick to the previously agreed upon budget, now you're going over budget and people are going to get in trouble. Um, so we're usually all going home by six and then you get home at six and maybe you take an hour to get home. So you get home at like seven and you're tired and you're hungry and you shove something that's like food in your face and then you open your emails. And then if we've got work scheduled for the next day, well, You've only got between now and bedtime to go through all of your emails and do all your auditions with whatever energy and voice you have left. Because if you go to work the next day and you don't do those auditions, it'll be too late. You won't have time to go back and do them because they're usually due the next day. And that's every day. That's the hamster wheel. Like right now in my inbox, I have about 14 emails, each with an audition. Each of those emails sometimes also have multiple characters for me to audition because they're like packets from new shows, for example. So I have more than 14 individual auditions and they're all due Monday. So, so we don't stop working. We like, it's, it may, it may not, it may not seem like a crunch, but if you want to keep up and you want to have rent to pay with in the next few (laughs) months, you keep up with a hamster wheel because, um, like the guarantee of being an actor is that you're going to be out of work at some point, like having a great week, a great month, a great year does not mean that every subsequent week, month, year is also going to be great. We're always um, storing nuts for winter. Um, Obviously, like, I've had a great year with Mass Effect. I'm probably not going to book another Mass Effect game this year or something (laughs) else that requires so many sessions, so I have to buck up. So I don't get to pretend like I'm in a new tax bracket. I have to sit on my savings. I have to keep up with a hamster wheel of auditions, and I have to keep working um, and just be prepared for a slump because every actor goes through one. Um, either you fall out of popularity because they've heard you in too many things or um, just Mm -hmm. out of sheer coincidence parts aren't popping up that are right for you it could be any number of things but everybody goes through this it's all very much in in flux forever Um, so so no I did not choose Mass Effect Mass Effect chose me and obviously I'm very thankful (laughs) and and grateful for it but they could have they could have picked anybody who auditioned and I'm sure everybody did anytime I submit an audition, two to 500 or more other women are auditioning for the same thing every day. Wow. So um, getting an audition is literally winning the lottery. You win a lottery every time. Wow. I had no idea that it was so busy and then that there were so, like, there was so much, like, happening all at once. All the time. So you have to keep your ducks in a row. So, I mean, I, I live and die by my Google calendar. Um, cause I'll be, I'll be in a session 
I get sent on a break to pee and get coffee. I look in my email and I've got maybe a couple other emails from my agent saying, hey, Frida, you've booked this and this. Um, are you available for these days? And it's like, oh, man, I got to pee. So I'm like walking to the bathroom, looking at my calendar saying, <laughs> okay, yes, I'm available these days. And they'll say, great, hold it for now. And a hold will mean like <laughs> reserve, reserve the time and day. Don't book anything else, be it doctor's appointments or whatever. They have the option to let me go and not book me that day, but they're asking to hold it. Okay, great. So I'm holding this time day. And then I come out of the bathroom. I'm walking back and I've got more emails. They're like, hey, Frida, they need to reschedule this booking that you have. Can you look? Okay, I'll look at my calendar. Yeah, yeah, I can reschedule. Okay, great. And then I go disappear for another hour of recording. And then I come out and then there's more. And again, like jump back 15 years before the immediacy of of smartphones and email. Everything was just like, I imagine people would go home and check their messages and call yeah. back. And everything was just so much slower but now to stay competitive and relevant, you have to keep up. Like, um, it's a marvel. So, like, my husband doesn't get uh, email notifications on his phone, and that is a marvel to me. <laughs> I can't disconnect from my phone nights and weekends because it's not unheard of for me to get emails at 9, 10 o'clock at night from agents who have been contacted by casting directors with a last-minute change or schedule change or a script or something. Or, um, not very common, but it does happen once in a while. I've been booked and paid extra to do things on the weekend because some company just desperately needed a VO for this presentation for the board of directors and they need someone willing to work on the weekend and it just all happened within like a two hour booking. Uh, you cannot unplug. But in this, just like any other um, self-employed freelancer, it's your responsibility and your right to put your foot down and say, I'm not working right now. I'm on vacation. I'm unavailable. I'm taking care of myself. I'm going to the doctor. I'm spending time with my family, whatever. But no one's going to do it for you because you're only interesting to other people when you can make them money. I'm only of value and interesting to my agents and people who employ me while I'm happy and healthy and can make them money. If I'm unavailable, I'll stop being interesting to them. So you have to, just for your own well-being, you have to strike this balance between being available, being profitable, and staying mentally and physically well. And it's really, anybody who is self-employed identifies with this. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It's hard. Because everybody else who has like a 9 to 5, 40 an hour a week job um, is told when to go home, when you have paid vacation, uh, how much sick time you can uh, get off. You have bank holidays, stuff like that. But when you work for yourself, you being in control means you also tend to, if you're a workaholic, you just sort of surrender and wake up and realize you haven't taken a vacation or gone to the doctor, for example. So yeah. that's, that's, that's actor life. It's just like any other contractor. Wow. That yeah. sounds. That sounds nuts. <laughs> I know. Pretty um, much, not for the week. Definitely not for the week. I. It sounds familiar to, um, uh, like people that uh, that stream like Twitch for their job, where they have people asking them like, "Well, you're not online right now. Like, you should be online because I'm paying you like whatever the subscription is a month." <clears throat> and they're like, "Well, I'm technically I'm still working. I'm just working behind the scenes because I'm making like." YouTube videos or like voiceovers or whatever for my my shows and then they come back and they're streaming again but it's like they don't ever take a break either so I know a couple people that do that it sounds really similar but definitely not as busy as what you're describing well you also have to you have to factor in again like I mentioned the the unreliability of it all um it's unreliable that when a, a client hires me to do something that they'll ever hire me back um that mm -hmm. Not getting to do something once doesn't mean you'll get to do it again 
for that client, for that project, for any number of reasons, either because your part is small or maybe they recast you and you don't get you, you don't get a courtesy notification saying, by the way, we replaced you with someone else. Nothing personal to taste. It just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, or you also can't control. Uh, I mean, the, the only thing we can't control is like what we say yes to. Just like in life, you can control what you agree with and what you say yes to and what you accept. So um, the sag After, which is the American um, Actors Union, has minimum wage standards um, their rates and they're always posted online and uh, ev- every type of, of voiceover job is listed there. So you can point to that and be like, this is the minimum wage. This is the known minimum wage. You have to pay me that. So for example, for me, I'm um, what's called a, a financial core actor. Um, and what that means is a uh, financial core is based on a Supreme U.S. Supreme Court decision that affects every labor union in the United States. Um, by definition, I am, quote, a non uh, dues paying non-member. So um, I'm not a member of the union, but I pay my dues. They still get a cut of every union job I do. I'm permitted to do union jobs. In exchange for that, I'm also allowed to do non-union work. However, I'm not because I'm not a member of the club. I don't get club benefits, so I'll never win a SAG award. I can't run for SAG president. I can't go to any um, events, seminars, uh, meetings, whatever that they do for SAG members, but I can still work with them and for them. Um, so as a result, when I'm in the non-union world, it's the wild west, it's unregulated, and people are more than happy to take advantage of you. Um, I still point to the union page and be like, you have to pay me minimum wage because if I'm giving up my time to do a non-union job, when I could have booked a union job, you have to make it worth my while. And it should be mm-hmm. like that for everybody. And you don't have to be like the lead in Mass Effect to justify getting paid minimum wage. You just mm-hmm. have to be an actor um, with with enough self-respect and um, with enough knowledgeability to know where to look and be like, oh, this is what I'm worth. Yeah, that's what you have to pay me. So that information is definitely out there. I mean, And again, like I, I advise that for anybody who works in freelance, talk to your peers, talk to people who do what you do, find out if you guys are getting paid the same and find out who's getting ripped off. It's pretty eye-opening. Wow. That's a lot of information. <laughs> That's I don't think I could handle that myself, if for no other reason than my bad time management skills. Um, oh, so yeah. No, should... th- there's a lot of not showering, wearing pajamas, and not wearing a bra. Trust me. It's happening right now. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, I am in that situation as yeah. well. I just don't have an excuse for it. <laughs> oh, no, there's never an excuse other than I don't have time right now. I have other things. Like, I, I personally deal with a lot of guilt of, like, if I roll out of bed and there's work I got to do, I will always defer to doing work first before showering, which mm. on the outside seems insane, but it makes sense to me because I prioritize work so much. Again, like, it's that constant uh, juggle of self-care or making money. Mm, no time. Got to work. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I think people listening probably know you most from voice acting in video games, but I would assume that things like commercials actually provide you with more work. Is there a, a difference or, or any particular aspects that you like and don't like about like a video game versus a show versus a commercial? So it's all about money. Money, 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 money. Money makes the world go round. And there is... There is a very direct, specific, quantifiable, diagrammable math. Um, the way I've heard it worded before is the more 
the more morally, ethically, artistically corrupt something is, the more money is involved. Um, the more artistically, morally, ethically focused something in, is, the less money is involved. And that's pretty consistent. So, like, let's say at the far end of the spectrum, um, the pharmaceutical industry will pay the most for commercial spending, whether it's paying um, the people actually filming, making, doing uh, visual effects or whatever for the commercial, down to the actors in the commercial. And at the bottom end of the spectrum is like art for our art's sake, modern art, experimental film, experimental animation, whatever. There's the least amount of money in that. And you find that across the board. Um, corporations will always uh, hold the money bags there. So um, the rates are the same. Also, um, just a, like a, just a really smart thing that's been said to me by another freelancer is always charge what your client can pay. Always charge what your client can pay. If they can afford it, charge it because you owe it to yourself to be paid, not just what you're worth, but also what the client can afford. Um, and that very much applies to commercials versus anything artistic. So if you go look up the, the VO rates, um, commercials are definitely at the top of the spectrum. Also promos, promos is like tonight on Fox, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. and those prom like the, the pinnacle, the, the absolute, um, uh, cherry for anybody in VO is to get a promo job because those tend to be recurring. Um, it is, if you get a union gig, that's amazing. Uh, and you, so you'll do those multiple times a week. Cause it's like, you know, next week on blind spot. Um, uh, every time there's a time change or whatever, followed by a special presentation of like that, that is money, 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 money. Um, if you do a commercial for a product, you get paid for your time in the booth. So that's usually about um, $400 um, US for your time in the booth up to an hour. Um, but the real money comes from uh, what's referred to as residuals. But what it really means, it's the residuals are for the right for the spot to run. So like mm -hmm. I said earlier, people only owe me for my time spent in the booth. What they do with my VO, whether they use it or not, is their business, not my business. They don't owe me anything. They don't even owe me. Like, I have to go Google and YouTube to see if the things that I'm in included me. No one's going to send me, you know, you are cordially invited to go look up the episode of the thing that we actually did implement you in. Like, that's never going to happen. It's my job <laughs> to do that. Um, so with commercials, they pay you for your time in the booth. And then if the radio or television spot or, you know, now you'll see the same commercials on on web ads like YouTube, for example, that you'll also see on on television, um, you get paid for a cycle during which that commercial is permitted to run, usually like something like six to nine months. So I'll get a pay stub with an extra check that says this commercial that you did on this date um, is permitted to run March through November of this year. Here's a check. Um, and after taxes, I've seen that be anywhere from like eleven hundred to thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars after taxes. That's pretty good. That's like a couple sessions that you didn't do. Um, so as a result, across the board in in voiceover culture, um, commercials are the most coveted, most sought after, most um, protected of of the VO jobs, and video games are right at the bottom like under the ground six feet under somewhere at like the bottom of a landfill is how a lot of actors and um agents especially agents feel about game jobs um just because they pay the least um uh for those who who don't know or or can't be bothered to look up the rates um a game job 
same as I mentioned for a commercial game job, like up to an hour, it'll be about uh, 400, 500, including taxes and agent fees for up to an hour. And then in time over an hour, up to four hours, the the gross is $908.05 for four hours. But with all the screaming that's involved, if you're doing you know a heavy day, you're putting someone out of commission. Because like I mentioned before, if we do four hours of something really heavy, we still got to go home and do auditions and we still have to work the next day. And there's no extra compensation for putting someone out of work because you've wrecked their voice, you've made them lose their voice, uh, you change the quality of, of their voice, which affects our viability for future work. There's no extra compensation for that. So that's why video games are kind of regarded at the bottom, bottom, the bottom, the bottom, bottom. Having said that, <laughs> um, game companies that are older and have been growing with and working with actors for a long time I mean, I, I'm stupid. I say this regularly. I'm stupid lucky. I've gotten to work with Firaxis for Civilization, Bioware for Mass Effect, Funcom, like all these companies that have a very long history of working with voice actors and treating them right. Um, they know what it's, it's such a difference when you're working with someone who knows what they're doing. Also, you have to be someone who stands up for yourself. Like um, if you're with a bad or new director who does just like dumb stuff like asking you to do um, shouting or screaming emotes at the start of a, of a session, you got to stand up for yourself and be smart enough to say, hey, you know what, for your benefit so that I can give you my best and spare my voice, why don't we do the shouting at the end? No one ever says no. No one ever says no, especially when you present like, I'm doing this for you. Hmm. So this mm -hmm. isn't a waste of everyone's time. There are a lot of abuses like that. Um, from people who just like aren't thinking or just think very little voice actors or whatever. So yeah, you have to stand up for yourself in that instance. So that's that's how the pay breaks down. Um, repeat work and work that goes to broadcast is definitely the most uh, sought after. And then work that just you don't get um, broadcast money for um, or repeat for is just kind of like me. But I mean, what can you do? You also like like I said earlier, we, we don't really have a lot of control of what we're selected for. You just kind of always have to say, thank you. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for choosing me out of the hundreds of women, hundreds of men, hundreds of people that you could have chosen for this thing. Thank you so much for choosing me. Yeah. Other than the pay, though, does like the experience ever differ? Is it just sort of generally the same from industry to industry? You can work on really, really boring copy. And if the director treats you well, it's a delight. And you can work on you know, a major franchise. And if they treat you like shit, <laughs> you'll remember <Yeah. laughs> and have a bad taste in your mouth that you were abused that day. It, it doesn't, the content, like if, if we get to do, you know, a fun, funny, interesting, uh, artistically challenging and dynamic script that day, that's great. That's wonderful. It's not that common, but it's just like with anything you, you remember, the thing you remember most is the way people make you feel. And the way people mm -hmm. remember you the most is the way you make them feel. And if people make you feel like shit, that's all you're going to remember. Yeah. Right. You know, that's that's all you're left with, really. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it's great <laughs> It's great to have intelligent, wonderful writing, but it's, it's so much more important to have um, a mutually respected work environment in any job. Hmm. I, we, we actually had... Um, a question from uh, one of the one of the excuse me one of our listeners um, who was asking about uh, 
video game companies that have I get he he worded it as video game companies that have already negotiated good track contracts with the SAG AFTRA. Um and I guess uh I can explain I that. Mentioned? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I can explain that. So you guys are aware of there's the the game strike happening yes. between SAG AFTRA yeah. and quote the video games industry. Mm-hmm. This is what's really happening. If you go to the SAG AFTRA website and you go to their um, strike information page, there's a list of names. And the list of names are not just video game companies. There's individuals who are casting and booth directors. There are recording studios in that list. Every name on that list are all the people and companies who bothered showing up to negotiations for two years. Huh. Okay. The invitation was open to everyone. Those are just the people who bothered to show up. So those are the people who being who are being... Um, punished and stricken against first they're on the naughty list first because they bothered showing up um in the meantime seg has written a contract that they want and they're going around individually to individual vendors so again not just video game companies but also um casting groups casting directors and recording studios uh essentially strong arming them and saying you're going to agree to this contract or we're going to put you on the list what do you want to do and that will continue. So that's what that, that's what he's asking. Um, gotcha. I like SAG-AFTRA is responsible for updating um, the naughty list, as it were, as they feel necessary. I'm not up on who is on the naughty list and who is on the on the nice list, but y'all can look anytime <laughs> until the strike is <laughs> over. Who's agreed and who's disagreed with what um what SAG-AFTRA is asking for? Okay, cool. Yeah, I it's been floating around. Like I've seen it uh on twitter and i've seen people talking about it it's just kind of been like um like there in the background so it is in the background but i mean so the deal is nobody is legally required to hire union actors there's no law of like if you have an american production you must hire american union actors that's not a thing um you go through a process uh which is uh referred to as becoming a sag signatory sag after these these were two different um unions and they only merged as of january 1st of 2017 um the merger was complete so now it's sag after a sort of like activision blizzard um, right, right. if you want to make the analogy and so um actors who are are who are union members and union only um can only do union jobs if you have a production and you want to do a union job, you become what's called a signatory. You go to the SAGRAFTER website, you download a bunch of documents, you submit your project, it gets, um, you know, a case number, blah, blah, blah. So you get all your contracts from, from them. The union gets its cut. The union actor um, gets paid through union, on and on and on. It's all, you know, regulated. Um, versus if you just want to hire an, uh, an actor, so meaning non-union, you can. There's no rule against that. Um, so the union's obviously been around for a long time. Uh, I mean, if you go back to like the, as soon as films became talkies, um, and emerging from silent films, there were like immediate abuses with like, we can pay actors no money because they're just happy to be here, which Mm. is the same for any labor in the world of, Mm -hmm. especially if you go to a group of people in a population who are desperate for money and have a special skill set, um, nobody wants to pay anybody what they're worth anyway. So unions mm-hmm. certainly do serve a function for protections when it comes to regulating work hours and wages and stuff like that. Um, 
but there's just no obligation to use union workers. So the inevitability in the same way that like the United States has lost a lot of um, labor union power because manufacturing and production has gone overseas to uh, Asia, India, Europe, where it's cheaper. Mm. Um, there's nothing preventing companies from going anywhere there's English speaking actors and hiring them and they don't have to belong to a union and they'll do it for cheaper. That's just the inevitability of of uh, getting out from under a union. So that's just that's just history marching on right there. Hmm. All right. Now, speaking of the voice actor or strike, um, are, you, are you supporting of it? A lot of people are trying to, like, pit the voice actors against mm. the game developers, which I think is not the lesson here. Um, but how do you feel about the strike in general? Um, I am not allowed to have a feeling about the strike, <laughs> oh, and I'll okay. tell you why. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. Now that the strike is in effect, both sides of the strike have legal counsel. Oh, okay. Ah. Nobody's going to pay my legal fees if I say anything out of out of step. <laughs> right. So, like, I'm happy to um, repeat, you know, just facts, just plain old, <laughs> look them up, Googleable facts. But if I piss off either side their lawyers will come after me. And again, no one's going to pay for my lawyers because I'm not a union actor. I don't have union protection. So that's where I'm at. But I mean, I, I'm a financial horror, fight horror for short, so I can be available for whatever. Like I did that to protect myself mm. so that I could mm -hmm. keep paying rent. But I mean, that's me. But again, like I said, I, I get historically where all labor unions come from. It's because workers had to unionize because abuses were happening. So when it comes to um, game developers, though, um, anytime it's brought up that game developers should unionize, that is, that's hard. That's really, really, really hard. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really convinced that we'll ever see a unionization of game developers. Uh, it would be, I don't know, it's too late in the game, especially now when you've got. Um, international people at play you can have a, a team made up of anybody from anywhere in the world and it's not mm -hmm. regulated it's just budget to budget oh, um yes. and then if we're making the analogy i mean there's the math is difficult to make analogous between games and any other um form of of entertainment so when you've got actors that come from a film and television background if they're on a tv show for example that becomes successful they expect the show to go into syndication, meaning the show is going to be shown at a network at three in the morning. Um, for as long as that television show is running on TV, you get syndication money in the mail. Again, just like I was saying, like we get paid whenever a commercial that we're in gets broadcast. You would get paid every time the episode of the show that you were in is on TV for eternity. Well, there's no syndication for video games. Video mm -hmm. games don't go into reruns. Um, games are, are attractive and hot on the shelf for the first two months that they're out. And then sales peter out. And then you might see a bump, you know, down the road on a Steam sale or something or a PlayStation or Xbox sale. But that's it. They just There's no extra money there. Same thing, actors who come from film um, expect to see, uh, if, if they get a contract that's negotiated the way, they expect to see a bump from DVD sales or, again, like, um, if a film makes it on TV, every time it's on TV, they get money. And there's just nothing like that for games. So the money just isn't there. Also, unlike a film, game studios, like you go do a film or a, a TV show, the budget is there for the length of shooting the project. 
And then when it wraps, all that money goes away because the people go away. There's no longer a sustaining um, budget for sustaining a, a production a production place. But game mm-hmm. studios don't close between games. They have to mm-hmm. keep paying for the power and for pension and benefits and for employees even when they're not actively making or selling a game. So again, just like the money's just not there for additional residuals for developers, never mind for actors. That's just, And that's just math. Um, so, and then the other argument for uh, unionizing um, game developers again. If we're making if we're making analogies between the film industry and and um, and games in the film industry, there are plenty of production staff components that are unionized. For example, um, there's a union for editors, for film editors, and for um, uh, all the, the on the onset uh, production staff people like set designers and electricians and all that stuff. Each of those are an individual labor union. Yeah, my brother they, is actually in one of those. There you go. Yeah. They never get residuals or extra money after a film or television production that they worked on ships. Mm-hmm. They, the union is there to protect their, their time and their payments and their safety and general well-being, but they'll never see residuals from the thing that they work on. So again, like making the analogy of like game developers who work on production, aka games, should see a residual like films do doesn't work because that also doesn't happen in in film so uh, i don't know like uh, again like i can't give an opinion but i can sort of point to where the money flow goes Mm -hmm. so you know if there's money great if there's not money you can't make money appear and materialize because you wish it yeah (laughs) it's also really arbitrary like um the game strike uh, the game strike is asking for uh, secondary payments for actors when a game has sold 2 million units. And that's 2 million units regardless of whether the game has made back the money it lost in making the game. Mm-hmm. That's regardless of whether it sold 2 million units like 10 years later. And I don't, <laughs> and, like, who knows who's keeping count of that, right? It's also regardless of whether the game studio still exists after the game has shipped. I mean, yeah. there have been more than a few instances of because a game was just so expensive and took so long to make, that by the time time the game comes out, the studio shuts down. I mean, the most recent thing in memory is Irrational Games shutting down after Bioshock Infinite came out because there was no money left because it yeah. took seven years to make. It never made its money back, ever, regardless of units sold. And then on top of that, if you're in the games industry, you know that a A game... 2 million units sold is co- it's considered a commercial failure because yeah. we know that 2 million units sold means automatically means oh you did not make your money back you are still in the red you are still in debt so again just like i said earlier you should charge clients what they can afford but 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 the the, the money's got to be there in the first right. place so that's yeah. kind of where we're at with that and that'll go on for as long as it goes on for and is there room in the negotiations for, like, separating the residuals issue from the other issues? Like, overtaxing your voice and, you know, screaming sessions and things like that? Uh, the union has prioritized um, residual slash secondary payments over any other thing. Uh, huh. That's the thing that they want. That's interesting. Well, good luck yeah. to them. <laughs> yeah, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of jazz hands at this point. <laughs> All right, we don't want to get you in trouble, so we can move on to something else. 
Thanks. Well, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can, I can be your Google engine and give you Google answers. But I mean, that's also like, I don't, part of becoming um, independent and not being a union member is you are on your own. Like I can't, yeah. if, if something, that's why, that's why I have to be on top of what uh, union rates are and union regulations are so that I can be my own mini union of one and stand up for myself when I'm working on unregulated work because if something goes south, I can't talk to the union. That's the deal that I made with the devil. So you just kind of, you pick your pony there. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, man. It's like, it's so interesting to learn about. And I'm, yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, so you used to be in sound design. Uh, what was that like? And how did you make the switch into voice acting? Uh... Sound design was awesome. Um, I was in sound design for, I think, like nine years. I was in games for 12 years total. I got my foot in the door when I was 18. I was pretty lucky. Um, wow. Just figured out what I wanted to do. An opportunity came up, and I started off as a, a game master for EverQuest for Sony Online and just worked my way from there. And EverQuest 2, uh, EverQuest 2 was going to be the most ambitious um, uh, project for voiceover because they had a name for 100,000 lines of dialogue. Um, and with that, they started a, an audio department and they need someone to implement VO. And I got that position at entry level. And then from there, I became a voice actor, uh, or excuse me, a sound designer, which works a lot with voice actors, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, indirectly, like I mentioned, starting off just implementing directly when, um, like EverQuest 2 was so big at age, like 24, 25, I was a squirt. Um, I was permitted to sit in and co-direct uh, sessions with voice actors, which is funny because like I see a lot of those voice actors now and they're like, oh, you're on this side. I'm like, I know it's weird. It's totally <laughs> weird. Um, so when you're in audio, you end up being, um, especially if you work um, in a studio that has the budget for all this stuff, you might get to have um, secondhand, just secondhand experience in stuff like um, budgeting, scheduling, casting, uh, contracts, because these things apply to every aspect of audio, whether you're hiring composers who are hiring an orchestra, you're hiring actors, therefore you're, all, you're also hiring um, uh, booth directors. Uh, it's good to have a developer present, like the, the client in any job is good to have the client present just for, for um, fidelity to things like pronunciation, for example, mm. or story and context. Um, the booth director can do their best to review story and stuff, but if they're not part of development, there just might be context missing. But uh, experienced booth directors are the uh, are the actor whispers. You, if you want an you want an experienced one there, if you can afford it, it's definitely worth the time and the money. Um, so I was I got to be part of all that um, just through work and pipeline. And uh, for four years, I was going to LA from Orange County, which is about 60 miles each way. So up to three hours in traffic for fun on nights yeah. and weekends, I was taking <laughs> um, voiceover and improv classes because I thought it would be smart if I knew what I was asking actors to do. Cause again, like I knew, I knew I was just a client and I knew that I wasn't as articulate as booth, as the booth directors I was working with. So I would kind of watch them in awe when I would watch them just like say the right things and actors would make just the right tweaks. And I knew that I, I, I would be overcorrecting them. It'd be like playing a, a grand prix or Forza game. And then you overcorrect and you just keep slamming yourself in the wall and blowing <laughs> up. That would be how I was directing just cause I didn't understand how to articulate it. 
Mm-hmm. And some of the best, I mean, now I can say that, that I'm on the other side. Some of the best directors that I've had are also current full-time voice actors themselves, like Liam O'Brien, for example. Um, Sam Regal, these are, they're also guys on, on Critical, Critical Role. Critical Role. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so they're, they're, they are full-time voice actors, but also part-time directors. And they're, they know what they're asking me to do because they've been there. So it just, it just made sense to me of like, you know what, I should put myself through it so I know what I'm asking people to do. And I, I really do think that because I was coming up here and doing it for fun and casually, and it, I didn't have the pressure of this needs to make me money or I'm a failure, um, it just made it a much more relaxed, easy segue for me. Because uh, when I went for my last games job, um, my last games job was for, I did audio for Evolve. And it was a negative experience only because I had this crazy personality conflict that I could not fix. I waited to get fired. It was a mercy killing, amicable firing. And I was really depressed and sort of like at nothing left to lose point. And, I, and it just kind of dawned on me. I'd been going to L.A. for four years with VO. And I was like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and I had accepted a couple jobs uh, here and there, but very infrequently to do VO. And I just thought, well, I mean, what do I have left to lose? I mean, and just like with anything in life, like the worst thing that can happen to you, someone says no. So what? That's really not a big deal. Being mm-hmm. told no. Yeah. People get told no every day. And now, like I was explaining earlier, my job is auditioning. I am rejected 99% of the time, but it's worth it to get the one job when they don't reject me. <laughs> and that's being an actor. Um, so I just immediately went from getting let go to contacting Richard Horvitz, who um, he's the voice of Invader Zim. Again, another full-time, full-time actor, sometimes director. He also teaches, and I'd been going to him for a while for lessons and he also produces um, demos and I said I I think I'm ready for my demos and he made them and I by myself found a little listing where every single agency voiceover agency in the world is listed I independently emailed from my little gmail account like 120 (laughs) agencies in LA 10 got back to me and I ended up going to the one that Richard Horvitz my mentor went to and we ended up signing papers on the same day Um, and the rest is history and I started working pretty much right away but I, again, I do think it's because I didn't come, like, there's that, there's that prototypical Hollywood story of someone comes from the West fresh off, fresh off the bus and their, their eyes are all gleaming and dazzling. They're young and bushy-tailed. They're like, I'm going to get discovered in Hollywood. That's not how it works. <laughs> like, people, you don't show up and wait for people to notice you. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. You show up, you work hard. And you keep showing up and you keep working hard and you keep showing up and you keep working hard and you do that for as long as it takes. And eventually people notice you because they have no choice. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd been coming up here for four years taking classes. I'd been directing. So I knew, you know, what was expected by the client, at least in the voiceover gig, which, by the way, I also very naively thought, oh, yeah, I've been directing um, game voiceovers. I know everything about every aspect of voice. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Idiots. Idiots. The, um, the etiquette, the shorthand, and the protocols, and just the mechanics uh, differ severely f- between games and commercials and animation. They could not be more dissimilar. Just, just, if you haven't worked in one, you haven't worked in the other. And the only thing you'll be prepared to do is do voiceover, but that's it. It's just everything about each of those is totally different. Um, but because, I'd been t- again, I'd been taking classes, and I just didn't have that pressure of like, Oh, I need a job! Um, it was a really smooth transition and, um, I just hit the ground running 
and the rest is history. And I turn, um, I will have been with my agency for four years this April in 2017. Hmm. Nice. So yeah, not bad. Uh, four years in and I've done this much work including like I also did not think oh yeah pff, it's not a big deal I'm just going to start doing voiceover and I'm going to land Mass Effect it's not a big deal <laughs> yeah. <be> fine. <laughs> I did not I mean that the the amount and quality of stuff I've gotten to do I set as a goal for myself for like 10 years down the road not 4 Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. doing pretty well. But I mean, like I said, like you cannot get confident or cocky because everything, everything is a fashion. Actors come and go in fashion. Clients come and go in fashion. Genres come and go in fashion. So I'm having a good time right now, but that means nothing for the future. So I have to, you know, stay, stay working, stay vigilant, um, know that I, I will never know everything and that I can only get better and there's always room for improvement. So the best thing I could do is just stay humble and keep working. That's great. I I feel like you're going to be a lot more well-known uh, <laughs> once Mass Effect goes out. I feel like voice acting also doesn't really get into a thing where you get burned out. Like, honestly, some of the bigger voice actors, I'm like, Jesus Christ, could they not cast someone different for a change? But uh, in terms of the people doing the hiring, they don't seem to do think that way. <laughs> It's so much, well, think about, it's just like with anything, like everybody wants to work with their friends. Yeah. First, Mm. first and foremost, like, like, just like I was saying earlier, the lines that I'm reading have very little bearing on how I feel about a session if I'm being treated poorly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm being treated, I mean, like I've done, I've done favors for friends where they call me and they're like, hey, Frida, I've got this really stupid, crappy, not fun, great or interesting project, whatever it is, but we'll just, will you do me a solid because you're my friend? Yes. (laughs) Of course. And I get to see my friend. How wonderful. Everyone wins. And that's, again, like, that's a universal thing. If you just, you want to work with your friends and that's more important than what you're working on, usually. So, one, there's working with your friends. But here's the bigger picture. So, I mean, I, it's a very blanket um, universal thing that I'm talking about where it's like, keep working and show up, keep working and show up, keep working and show up, 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 show up. And then people have no, no option but to give you opportunities. In voiceover, there is a chain reaction and a chain of command that is like life or death. Meaning, so let's say I show up and I start auditioning, and my auditions go to my auditions go to casting directors. Those casting directors have been hired by video game companies or or cartoon um, productions or cartoon cable networks like Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, whatever. And if they don't recognize my name, first of all, it's already going to put put them off because they don't know me. They've never heard of me. They don't know what I'm like to work with. And you have to think, like, if a casting director says um, you should look at this person, hire this person, they bring you in the booth and it's a disaster, that's their ass on the line. Mm -hmm. That's their reputation at stake. That's their Uh credibility dissolving because you screwed up. Um, So part of people hiring people over and over again is just reliability. Um, they want someone who they know what they can get out of them. They know what they sound like. They know what they're like in the booth. They know that they can show up on time, that they can be polite, um, that they're not a volatile risk versus hiring someone that you've never heard of. You don't know what they're like in the booth. You don't know what their repertoire is, like what their range is, what you can get out of them. I mean, pretty often you'll get um, some of those well-worked actors in over and over again because they'll be brought in, say, for like a bigger role but then they'll purposely have scheduled time 
to do additional little voices. And it's just because the casting director knows that they can do it. Hmm. Right. And it's cheaper to bring like it's um, per union rate. It's you can do up to four voices on the same rate. And the fifth voice is when they got to charge more. So if you've already booked someone for, um, let's say you've, you've booked someone for an hour and you're going to pay the hour rate anyway, um, and you've got time left over, you might as well squeeze in those extra three voices. And they mm-hmm. only want to bring in people who they know can do those extra three voices really well, quickly, without an argument, um, and get everybody out happy on time. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's about. So it becomes a credibility based on reputation. I, I know for a fact, for me, because I've been told, I've been given opportunities, whether it's just being sent auditions or being hired for things because someone else somewhere said, hey, have you worked with Frida? Oh, she's really good. You should hire her. You should hire her. Really? Uh-huh. I just, I've never heard of this. No, no, you know, hmm. like, you should do it. <laughs> um, several instances where I've been like blind cast for things. Uh, like I'd never worked with Funcom before and Rob King... Um, who's worked with me on a few things, just told Joel Bylas at Funcom, you should hire Frida. And they wanted somebody else, actually, um, who they worked with but was more expensive. Um, and Rob said, nah, nah, just trust me, you want Frida. If I didn't have Rob's uh, just... That is a lot of trust. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is a lot of trust because if I'd shown up for like Funcom being like his longtime client, um, and I had done anything wrong if I choked, if I didn't, if I just couldn't. Um, I mean, like, that's how we did the park. Like, we recorded the park the, the first time I talked to Joel and Funcom and stuff. And the park, if you play, it's, a, it's that's an emotional roller coaster. Just, like, I had to dig immediately. And that was a blind casting. If I had choked, if I couldn't do what was asked of me, if I was rude or short, any of those things, that doesn't reflect as badly on me as it does on Rob. Because Rob mm-hmm. told his client trust me she can do this yeah so that's of course you see repeat casting and like the same certain people and and that's not just vo i mean bigger picture like film and television of course because the same production companies are like you know who can do this i know who of course because i've worked with them for years yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um when you're when you're young and inexperienced and no one knows who you are it's very easy to get jaded and bitter and um and just blame it on well it's who you know it's who you know there's what's the point of even trying it's who you know how do you think they got to know anybody yeah (laughs) how do you think you get known it's not like you're not born into it like a special club it's not quite like classism where like people are born into wealth or royalty or something and it's given to them everybody who's in a creative field was just stubborn enough to stick around and then magically well who do they know everybody because <laughs> they showed up so i mean you gotta you gotta be stubborn and crazy enough to stick with it that's the whole secret like when i get um you know fan mentions on twitter or whatever where they're like oh i wish i could but i can't i'm always like no and you can too there's a i've said this in other interviews like there's this this saying and in, in Hollywood or an entertainment where it's like you're an overnight success after 10 years (laughs) and that's the joke like you you will have been around and working diligently and also like I was saying just consistently performing and consistently being nice and being polite and showing up on time it's like it's not rocket surgery 
It's not complicated to be successful. You just have to be consistent and stubborn, and you can too, in whatever. Okay, so let's move into talking about Mass Effect a little bit. I'll try to answer what I can, but I gotta tell you, we're still... No, wait, no, Tom and I are still under NDA. Like, we've been... Story (laughs) or things or... No, we won't. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you talk about, like, the experience of voice acting for it? Yeah, there was a lot of it. There was so much. (laughs) There's there's so much in a lot. There... I've said this, and I'm kind of not sick of saying it. Um, It... If you've worked on on a Bioware game and you meet someone else who's worked on a Bioware game, that you could just sort of like give them the the secret <laughs> the nod. secret handshake, <laughs> the secret nod and the secret handshake. Yeah, it's a it's a different experience unto itself. Like I said, like they, I mean, they know what they're doing because if they don't by now, God help us all. Um, <laughs> but they they know what they're doing. They're they're excellent to work with. They give a lot of context and make sure people understand story and all that. And also when available, if they've recorded the character that you're playing against or characters, they'll they'll play it for you. So it's almost like we're getting to do a scene with with people there, which is so rare because we have to um, voice actors have to um, shoulder the burden of imagining everything of imagine. Mm. I mean, I mean, like, who was it? Was it Ian McKellen? I'm trying to think Hugo Weaving, maybe Hugo Weaving. I think it was like Hugo Weaving. Somebody, somebody from Lord of the Rings, maybe Hugo Weaving, somebody who had to do a day where they had to perform on a green screen set and perform opposite a tennis ball. Oh, gosh. And they did this interview. I want to say it was Hugo Weaving. And he said that afterwards, like before, he just like, he just collapsed and started crying because he was just, he was just so upset and overwhelmed at the prospect of, uh, you know, after getting to do I mean, most, most film actors and theater actors live for, it's not about you. It's about playing off of an opposite other people and your emotions are regulated by their emotions. And and that's what makes good acting great is Mm -hmm. um, having genuine reactions opposite other people's genuine reactions like you do in life. That's why good acting is seamless with life. It's not pretending it's genuinely feeling in your gut. Um, what's happening to you in that moment. And that's so much easier to do with, with people there. When you're a voice actor, we work in a vacuum and we have to imagine all of that, including um, just the other actors, the set, the scenario, other things that might be going on, like combat or yelling across a ravine or getting mm-hmm. in someone's face, like pretending I'm grabbing someone by the collar and go through gritted teeth, you know, breathing down their neck because I'm angry. And I have to make that as real as possible by myself. That's that's hard. Um, so Bioware certainly relieves some of the burden if they've got uh, someone else that they've recorded that they can uh, play against me for me. That's great. Um, just the sheer quantity is is something else. <laughs> Again, like secret handshake for life, man. Oh, <laughs> because we don't um, we don't record chronologically. I mean, just like with anything else, you do stuff as soon as scripts are done because mm-hmm. we're keeping up with writers and writers are keeping up with schedule. And then, you know, the stuff comes up like bugs or pickups or um, something changed. So we'll go back and do a scene again because it got changed or fixed. Uh, and there's no particular order, rhyme, or reason. So emotionally getting jiggled that much over a four-hour period is is kind uh, of it's it kind of makes you loopy. Because um, <laughs> in in that four-hour session, I'll go from combat to romance to a sex scene to generic 
info wheel of tell me more about the Krogan to <laughs> tell me more about your fruit stand to um, let me tell you about this intimate thing that happened to me when I was really young and I'm not over it to <laughs> reloading and just over and over and over and over again. And something about that just makes it's like this really hard emotional gear shifting that you're not supposed to do in a short amount of time because, you know, unless unless your life is a soap opera, you don't go through that many emotions in, in a day. No. <laughs> not, I mean, not to that level, not, not to those, you know, life or death extremes, right? Like maybe maker, maybe like microcosms of um, those emotional shifts. But uh, yeah, that much on a regular basis, four hours at a time. I just, like, afterwards, I would just, like, you know, wanted to be quiet, left by myself, and kind of, like, maybe rock back and forth a bit, <laughs> maybe get hugged, just emotionally exhausting, which becomes physically exhausting. Like, anybody who's ever done, um, even for the experience, um, doesn't matter if, like, you're doing it for a student project or whatever, um, if you've yelled a little bit or done combat or something kind of intense, it does feel like therapy. At first, it's fun, and then afterwards, you're like, oh, man, I'm really tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, b- because... Um, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but stress affects your body <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and your adrenal glands affect your body. And if you're putting yourself through those emotional phases, your stress levels are heightened. Your adrenal glands are pumping. All those, all those systems in your body are being forced into hyperspeed um, just to give you the energy and the push to make real what you have to make real. And then afterwards, there's there's just no one to catch you with a come down. Mm-hmm. So uh, you really do feel it physically. It's not. It really is not just saying words, and it's not just yelling. And I know it might seem that way if if you're not on the receiving end of it. But um, just think about how you feel if you've ever had like a five minute yelling fight with somebody, <laughs> and just how you feel afterwards. And you're just so tired, and you're just so over it, and you're so mad. Mm-hmm. And you're like mm-hmm. that for the rest of the day. Well, we're like that over fake fights. <laughs> <laughs> we go in a session and we're paid to have a fake fight. And we're still tired and mad and unsettled for the rest of the day. Because All the emotions without the actual. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because, I mean, I mean, that's like. Um, it sounds, I mean, I'm, it sounds rubbish because I'm talking out of my arse a bit. But I think like on a scientific level, good acting is is real feelings bad acting Mm. like that's that's the thing acting is not pretending because we as people can sniff out when someone's being fake in real life like when someone's pretending to be nice to you you know you always know (laughs) right you know so if i'm pretending to be nice to someone in a scene you also know um so it can't be pretend it has to be real every time and that just it does take a physical toll and like i said you still have to come home and and do auditions and then go to work the next day so uh i can say with full confidence i went into into mass effect one kind of actor and i think i exited a completely different one just like i can't even Hmm. i could feel myself stretching and leveling up um (laughs) professionally like also it's kind of banana pants but um we don't get, uh, we never get scripts before. In games in general, you don't, you don't see the scripts before you go in to work. Uh, with, you also don't get the scripts for commercials. You do always get the scripts for animated shows. Um, 
I don't know exactly why that is across the board. I know for games, a lot of it has to do with just preventing leaks. Mm. And um, we can't have nice things because people have posted crap and sent stuff to websites and message boards. Like, okay, well, we can't have nice things. Great. Mm -hmm. Um, But for animated shows, we always get the full script. And not just, like, not my lines. I get the whole script, which is extremely important because you can't, you cannot understand story or context context just from one character's lines it makes no sense out of context it's completely different um if you're a voice actor you know that you can say um a two-line word 70 different ways because of 70 different story possibilities and if you're not informed on what that story is you you take a shot you make a guess and if it's something disconnected like a game where you're not like you know in ensemble with a full script working with other people it gets plugged in and it feels wrong because we weren't given the whole story Hmm. so yeah i can't speak highly enough of um of working for bioware they just they do a real good job of of taking care of their actors and just making sure that we're as immersed in the story as as the writers are as best they can um and most of those most of those reads are cold takes like, I've never seen the script before. I've never read the line before. The line pops up, and I have to record it. And um, after a while, you just you get good at doing that. If you know what's going on, you know the story, you know where you are in the story and how you feel, it'll come out right the first time. And then after that, maybe it's like technical cleanup. Like, maybe I slurred on a word so it sounds it sounds like I'm drunk. <laughs> we can <go> fix that. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I think I leveled up like 20 different times for Mass Effect for sure. Um, so you mentioned that sometimes they, uh, if they have like a recording of the other actor that you might be working with, that they would play it. Do you ever work with other VAs in the booth or is that like, especially for video games, I imagine that's pretty rare. Video games. It's only happened once. And that was, uh, Masquerada songs and shadows. And that's only because Mike Surix, who's the, he was the casting and booth director insisted to the company mm-hmm. and um the production company was cool enough where they were like yeah sure it doesn't cost more to do the nightmare is getting everyone's schedules to agree uh-huh. that's hard because everybody's on everybody's running around like chickens with their heads cut off um and uh that's the pain in the ass but if if you can get everyone to agree on on a time and day uh dreams do come true so <laughs> i i, I want to say i think that's the only time in my life I've ever recorded ensemble for games. And that was cool because I got to do um I got to do like four hours with Matt Mercer, who's a pal, and mm-hmm. um Mike uh Center Nicholas, who's the um he's the voice of Dean Venture and tons of other stuff, who's also like one of the first VO people I ever met going back like nine years or something now, who's really who was really kind to me for no reason. Just because, like, you know, I couldn't do anything for him. I was just sound designer in games, and it was really cool anyway. And I, so I got to go record with him. Like, uh, Center Nicholas and I are basically Matt Mercer's Uber drivers in Masquerada. <laughs> um, we were, we're like twins who look like each other, um, who drive the, the carriage wagon, and we cart uh, Matt Mercer all over this game. Um, so, I mean, you know, of of all the people for me to get stuck with in a booth for a game, those two. There, there was a lot of there was a lot of almost peeing my pants giggling. It was, good. it was a good time. Um, but that's the only time that's ever happened in games, and I've been in plenty of games. Like I said, it just doesn't. It's not considered 
necessary. It's a pain in the ass with scheduling, and so people just can't be bothered with it. Hmm. Um, when I get to work with other actors, which is always a delight, um, especially voice... One of the reasons the voice acting community is just friendlier and nicer than most is because because we work in isolation so much. We go home and we audition alone. We go to work and, we, and we're alone. They don't have... Um, back in the day, like I mentioned, you had to go to your agency to audition. In the waiting room, people would become friends and chit chat and shoot the shit. And that's when you, you know, that's when you become friends with your coworkers. Well, we don't have that now. Um, so anytime we run into other actors, we're like, hi, 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 how are you? How are you? Hi, 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 hi. So like everyone is sniffing each other's butts. It's so exciting. I'm lonely. Talk to me. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Like, I mean, it's not uncommon for me to go on coffee and lunch dates um, with other voice actors just because it's nice. It's just nice to see a face. Who does what you do? Because um, the majority of my interactions with people are with people who are paying me. And long term, that's not okay. It's not healthy. It's not good enough. Yeah. The relationship is very different um, if you're only working with people who are signing your checks. It's just not, it's just not, it's not the human experience in full. Um, so sometimes on commercials, uh, we get to do partner reads if there's, if there's, multiple people in the scene they'll schedule it so everybody's present just because it will it will inherently give a more natural flow no matter what um, like that's something that's really hard to fake and uh for animated shows um usually everybody in the episode is uh this, and this is why like i'm telling you the whole it's quote too hard to do ensemble thing is bullshit <laughs> because most animated shows everybody's there i mean mm -hmm. i've been I've been in animated shows where there's like 12, 14 people and everybody's schedules made sense that day. So I know it's possible multiple times. Um, there's one show that I'm on right now where the cast is pretty big and sometimes just due to uh, like there's a few film actors in the show and they're harder to get a hold of. So what they'll do is like um, on a recording day, they'll bring in the, the film actors first and just kind of like get them in and out so they can go back to work and do their other things. And then um, I will record the episode with a portion of the cast. So like me, me, sometimes it's me and one other person. Sometimes it's me and like two, three to four other people. But it'll just be like a portion of the cast just because that's what scheduling could allow. But again, the scheduling happened. So that's why I got to raise an eyebrow when um, when game producers or uh casting directors are like it's not worth it it's too hard please please <laughs> it can be done we know it can be done yeah i i'm actually kind of not surprised to hear that masquerada is one where you were all in the in a booth together because i think that's one of the best sounding games i've ever played well it's i mean it's the thing where it's like you're like, oh, why is this food so good? Because it's loaded with butter, real butter. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no substitute for real butter. Really? Sorry, sorry, vegans, you're missing out. There's just like, just like that chemical reaction of the fat and the dairy and the way it makes food stick together. Oh, you just can't replace real butter. You can't replace having a real conversation. You can get close. You can have almond milk. I do, but it's just it's not quite the same. It'll never be quite the same. Um, but we do the best we can. Uh, you also have to do crazy stuff like in, um, when there's branching dialogue um, and stuff like Mass Effect or any RPG where the, you know, the conversation can go in 50 different directions. Mm. Uh, 
you're not really necessarily playing a scene in order, right? Because we can go back to an original branch and it'll go, whoop, it's going to the left now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have to do your best to like give a blanket response in case player chooses XYZ option. Um, right. Because you know what I mean? Like we're not going to have the dialogue in order now because it's going to branch off at these different points and break away and become a whole new conversation. So were you a fan of Mass Effect before you were cast as Ryder? No! But that's just because, uh, like I've, I've mentioned in a few places, I, I have the attention span of a lobotomized gnat, and <laughs> RPGs are really hard for me to get through because there's just so much talking. Mm. There's so much talking, and there's so much reading, and it just takes it takes so long to get to the point where you're killing people and looting them, <laughs> and that's all I want to do, and this is why I don't get invited back to D&D games, because I'm a terrible person. Because um, I... I mean, and and that then that is that has everything to do with me and nothing to do with RPGs and tabletop. That is me. Um, I grew up PC gaming. I'm a uh, I've always really liked uh, hack and slash because it's easygoing. So like any hack and slashy dungeony crawl game, like Diablo is, is the prototypical example of that. Um, also, just being a Blizzard fangirl, like I grew up playing a lot of. Um, Orcs versus humans, Warcraft two, Warcraft three, and all that stuff. Mm. Um, so anything where like my my reaction time has to be on top of it, and and managing a ton of different units and resources at once, or being aware like the same thing happens in hack and slash too, because you have to be on top of your vitals and spell casting and murdering and, blah, blah, and like the strategery involved mm-hmm. that that demands your attention full time. Like you can't get up and make a sandwich. And I get really irritated with games that are like, we're going to have a 10 minute cutscene now that is unskippable. <laughs> and I'm like, that's when I'm making a sandwich. <laughs> um, but again, it's got, it's got nothing to do with the game. It just says everything about me and my, my attention span. Um, so uh, I've just, I never indulged RPGs because it would just take too long to get to the juicy bits for me, which is the murdering. Like I'm, I'm, I'm it sounds like I'm making a joke, but like I've been, in games, like, I'm so bad. Like, Matt Colville has described me, he says it's like taking a five-year-old to the bank. <laughs> and I'm just like, why are we here? What's this place? What are all these numbers? How long do we have to be here? Is this going to take much longer? I mean, that is me. Um, I'm the person who he's like, so you enter the tavern, and you walk up to the tavern guy. You have you have a bunch of questions you want to ask him about what's going on in the village. And I'm like, can I murder him? Are there girls there? <laughs> Can I? Li- so I'm just terrible. I'm just a terrible murder hobo, which is not a term that I coined. It's just what's been given to me, and I'm accepting the label. I'm embracing it. Um, but obviously, I'm going to play Andromeda because mm-hmm. I'm obviously going to play Andromeda. Um, and if anyone's wondering, I'm going to I'm going to play as me. Like I've gotten that question a lot. If it's I weird, I was about to ask. Yeah. Well, because a lot of people think it's weird, and I'll tell you what. So, as a sound designer, um, you very much get in the headspace of. It's like anybody else making any, like, visual artists um, know about gilding the lily. Like, so, for example, you have to get comfortable sketching fast and loose. And if you're doing a sketch and tell yourself a sketch, it's okay if it's not perfect. Hmm. And sometimes sketches become these really, really great pieces because you weren't worried about it being perfect. You weren't on a time limit. You weren't pressuring yourself or you weren't working for a client. You come up with something really cool and unique to you because you just called it, quote, a sketch. Same thing in sound design. If you're like, well, you know, this doesn't have to be the last thing, whatever, da, da, da. You can also make 
of, and it's the same with writing any like all across the board honestly all, all creative all creative avenues work exactly the same way with the exact same mechanics you can also make something just noise if you add too many layers you have too much volume you have too many sounds in the same frequency numeric frequency like being high and low end or whatever you can make your sound sound like mud if you add too many colors it, it's blinding and there's nowhere for you to focus because the colors don't complement each other um if you put in too many goddamn adjectives and adverbs it, your writing is garbage mm. um so and these are these you can't teach taste taste is just something that you develop over time so you learn to focus on the things that add value and experience and level up your ability to do your thing and then you learn to let go of the thing that is distracting or wasteful or that you don't learn from so um i got used to in sound design just you know tr these are these are sounds that i'm making and just kind of like learning when to pinch it off and let go implement it and move on to the next thing especially when you're working on like a big project or something and time is ticking so with vo it's um i think what helped with the training a lot is because i record my own auditions and i have to edit my own auditions and I don't have time to beat myself up because I have more auditions and I still have life to do and I have work the next day and whatever. I just got to do it. I got to edit it. I got to send out the email. I got to go to the next one and 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 go to the next one. So I, it's the same process. I learned um, when you got to let go and ship it or when you could do better. My mindset when I'm auditioning is just very simply, would I cast this person? If this was my project, do I think this person is right for the role? And if my gut reaction is no i go back in the booth and i do it again and different hmm. and that's it and i don't and i don't like beat myself up like oh i sound so dumb or nasal like <laughs> if you get in a headspace where you think you're dumb you it's very hard to do anything in your life from that headspace when you think you're dumb and you suck and people are judging you, you can't like worry about that stuff it prevents you from doing anything mm -hmm. um mm. so because i'm so used now to um doing daily auditions and just like shipping out the door not worrying about and forgetting that i did this thing um it's the same thing with with a finished product like by the time i listen to it i have to let go i can't go back in time and fix it i can't go back in time and do it differently if a director directed me to do it specific way it's not on me it's on them um if i wasn't fully informed of the story again it's not on me it's on them so all these things just force you to let go if you don't you're you're gonna live in perpetual self-punishing and that's dumb there's just no point. Um, so, no, I have no problem playing games where playing games or listening to things where I'm in it because I, I have to disconnect. Like, I can't I can't take the full brunt of the end result for something that I can't change. There's just no point. So um, and, and also so like for something as as big as as Mass Effect for <laughs> like I keep saying I can't I hope there's a rap party. Because I can't wait to meet all the people that I've had sex with. <laughs> I don't know who they are. Like, I don't... Bi you guys know, Bioware holds their cards really close to the chest when it comes to casting. Mm -hmm. I don't know who I acted opposite. Every oh, time there's man. a cast announcement, it's news to me too. And I'm like, oh, how exciting. I'm in this thing with that person. Awesome. I love your work. <laughs> and By the way, we banged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah by the way we bank like it's gonna be like that all the whole way down the line um yay <laughs> and so because i've had the the whole spectrum of human emotion um with these act with these nameless faceless actors uh i want to hear that in context i want to experience the feelings i had in context and see how it how it fits together and 
like I said, like, you know, Tom and I and everybody else had to shoulder the burden of, of, um, you know, imagine yourself on the Nexus, imagine yourself on the Tempest. What does the Tempest look like? I want to know. <laughs> I want to know what it's like to run around the Nexus. I want to know these things because I had to imagine it. So, um, it's kind of no different than like reading a book and you, you know, when you read a book, you make the movie in your head. And oh, then yeah. somebody makes the movie and you want to see what their interpretation of the movie in your head was. And you're like, the book was better. It's the same <laughs> thing. Like, I want to know how, what Bioware did with the movie in my head. And the same thing for Tom. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to playing. Cool. And I Me won't get too. up and make a sandwich. How about that? <laughs> I will have, I will have a sandwich already prepared or Soylent. Ah, smart. <laughs> I'm thinking ahead. Um, so, uh, with with the announcement that you were being that you were writer um i'm sure that uh you probably got a lot of like twitter notifications that people are following you now and uh sometimes the bioware fandom can be pretty overwhelming um when they don't like something <laughs> um but they can also be really creative and uh welcoming um so is there something in particular that you're looking forward to hearing or seeing from fans like maybe fan art or something like that oh a people a lot of people have already been like sketching out their writers which is so cool ah oh, I, I love that i hope i hope those options ex- i hope everybody gets everything they want in characters because you're like you know you're slave to well we have these hairstyles to choose from yeah <laughs> good luck <laughs> <laughs> We have these noses, we have these hair colors, these brows, that's what you get. Um, but I hope everyone's dreams come true because I've already, you know, I've already been CC'd on a bunch of, of, this is my writer. And it's like, hold on to that dream because even if you don't get exactly what you want, you've got this piece of art which you made for yourself, which you wouldn't have made for yourself if you hadn't been thinking about Andromeda. So that's that's cool for me to see. Um, I'm just looking forward. I, like I said, I went through some emotions. I hope other people go through emotions. I've, if you have any kind of emotional reaction to a piece of art, then the art did its job. Mm. Whatever you're like, also your reaction is never wrong. It's right because that's how art works. An artist makes a thing because they're expressing your, themselves. You go experience the thing and you have a reaction. And your reaction, your experience doesn't have to have anything to do with the artist's reaction or experience. Just so long as you have a reaction or any experience, then the artist has made art. The end. That's it. That's the whole definition. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to I, good or bad. I don't care. And like bad can be can be anything from like, this isn't high quality. I don't think this is worth the retail price because I didn't cry enough. Okay, well, I didn't know we were measuring in tears, but... I guess we should add that to budget of like, well, this has to make this many tears. Sorry happen. you weren't emotionally destroyed. We'll try better next time. <laughs> right. Sorry about that. I mean, what? <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? Um, de- definitely. Uh, I can't keep up. I try. I, like, I have nothing to complain about. Like, my my Twitter. I don't think I've busted six k followers. That's that's a sneeze. That's a, that's a that's a booger. It's a booger <laughs> of followers. Not to say my followers are boogers, but you know what I mean. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in the tens of thousands, you know, yeah. or the hundred thousands. Like I don't, I don't know how those people cope. I think they just must like, oh yeah, I'm on Twitter, but I just don't look at it because it's insane. <laughs> um, so I'm still, I'm definitely still in a place where I, I can and do make the effort to interact and respond as much as I can because like I know it's not going to be like this forever. I also know, again, like I've said, I'm not going to be in fashion or relevant forever. So while 
people care and are, and are interested, I am totally happy to be to make myself available. And that's great. Um, the only negativity I've gotten is, unfortunately, but predictably, nothing to do with Mass Effect and just things to do with me personally. Um, mm. Like, we recently did a sibling... A just It was a fun skit between Tom and me, where just Tom and I, not <laughs> as the writer twins, just at ourselves, um, were goofing off in the studio, and that was... That was my first on-camera gig, too, by the way. I've never done anything for oh, film. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never... Oh. I don't do on-camera. I've never had to. Um, I'm full-time VO, nothing else. That was my first time ever being recorded on film and, and doing a script and all that kind of actory stuff, and it was super duper fun and then of course invariably you get the she's fat she's ugly and i don't want to put her in her put it in her comments and it's like well i'm so sorry that you don't find me sexually attractive and that and that just ruined the whole video for you how how terrible it is for you that i don't give you a boner and now you can't enjoy this thing that's so sad for you i'm so sorry i killed your boat i am a boner murderer i should be put on trial and pay for my sins of murdering the boners. I mean, what can I do? <laughs> so there's that aspect. I also had, um, I mean, I recently posted like some some fan. I just I did a scan and I found them and it was so good. They they made a compilation screenshot of all the times people in, in comments have said, "Ugh, she looks like a feminist." Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Which is that's uh, again. I you know I'm so. I'm so sorry that I look like I feel I should be in control of my reproductive health. That's, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't know it was showing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. My labia flapped out on you, but oh man, it just happens. I can't help it. I'm so sorry. Um, and then, I mean, the only, the, there was only one person I had a block and it was because the guy went on a tirade. I was wearing a, he found a photo where I was wearing a cuties killing video game shirt and that was made in response to Gamergate mm-hmm. um, dudes saying women are killing video games with their bare <laughs> hands just strangling killing the boners killing the video games we're just you know we're just murderers oh, kill them um, all. Jeez. and so I wore uh, that shirt um, and this guy came after me and poor Jennifer Hale because this poor woman gets tagged in stuff all the time with like just I mean, and it's innocuous, but it must be annoying for her. I know it is for me, but they're just like, Commander Shepard will always be Jennifer Hale, but I'm looking forward to at Frida Wolf. And it's like, oh, leave this poor woman alone. <laughs> yeah. Leave her alone. She's, I mean, what, what, what are we supposed to do with this? I know you mean well, but we can't do anything with this. And so this one particular dude went off about, Jennifer Hale was totally respectful of fans, and she didn't post this feminist crap. This is oh, garbage. Geez. I'm never buying a Bioware game again. You guys are assholes. This woman's a cunt. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I go look at this poor guy's feed, and this is not an exaggeration. Like, every post, he was talking about his depression and his suicidal thoughts and how my wife says that I should get help, but I can't be bothered because, like, just, like, sad. Sad, 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 sad. And I don't mean, and I don't mean in in a way where I'm trying to make fun of this person. Like, mm-hmm. sincere clinical depression, obvious mental issues, and I just happened to be the target that day. And I just sort of blocked him instead of muted him because it's like well i don't want the ag- the liability for aggravating you if you have mental health issues and depression that you're not handling properly or you're not able to handle for whatever reason um i certainly don't want to be in the line of fire for making it worse for you so mm-hmm. i feel you know i'm sorry for that guy and and everything i've had to deal with negative from 
um, the fandom is just stuff in that vein where it just, um, just some, something is setting them off because of something going off in their personal life. Like this is, this is not, um, a judgment, but it has been scientifically proven, um, from sociological data. Anytime a person makes a judgment on someone else, it is directly because of the same insecurity you have about yourself. For example, she's so fat because you're concerned about your own weight and your own appearance. She's so dumb because you hold yourself to an extremely high standard and you're terrified of disappointing your peers or your parents or having imposter syndrome or whatever. Like, 100% of the time, this is not something I made up. Hmm. So anytime someone attacks someone else, it's because they're having a bad day, they're going through something, they're feeling badly about themselves, and someone else is going to pay for it. And I know this, so... Um, that certainly helps with, with dealing with any negative fallout because I know I can't fix people on an individual basis. I can just sort of like armor up and gather myself and be like, I know it's you and not me. And I'm sorry for what you're going through. Gotta take care of yourself first. Yeah, you gotta. In the same way we're like, you know, shiny, shiny, happy people are, are not shiny and happy because they're lucky. A lot of the times it's through a great deal of effort, like making yourself a priority, self-care, getting enough sleep, exercising, eating well, stuff stuff that you think doesn't affect you. But, I mean, like, we know scientifically that stuff affects your brain chemistry. It just does. Mm-hmm. Like, sitting in front of a computer all day is not good for you. We know this. We do it anyway. <laughs> but we know it's not good for you. And we know it causes um, depression, isolation, and anxiety and all those things. We know this. And then when you look at other people, it's like, well, how come she, he's so confident and happy? Because there's probably some work involved. Of course, I mean, there's obviously stuff like brain chemistry. If you're manic depressive, clinically depressed or whatever, and your your serotonin levels are off for whatever reason, there's obvious, you know, medical correction available for that. But there are other factors that play into that as well that are um, certainly affectable. Movable. Like, I actually, like, I had this conversation with my husband last night. Um, especially post post Trump and all this stuff and the news and uh, being being online twenty four seven as a human is not good for you. Like it's it's interrupting my sleep pattern with anxiety about world events that I can do nothing about. <laughs> like taking on taking on the anxiety and stress responsibility of things that I can't directly change is nonsense because it's just going to wear me down, right? Right. Um, so uh, and. and Again, based on numerous scientific studies, it's been proven um, that hanging on to social media, for example, later into the night will disrupt your sleep pattern. Like, there's a direct correlation. Again, this is not a judgment. This is just science. So, um, as of last night, I made the decision that I'm just, like, not going to look at social media past dinner time. Like, I need the time off so I can just do do my business, whatever that is, and then go to sleep and not have all that noise in the back of my head. That's yeah. just going to add stress for stuff that I can't do. I think that's important for everybody. Yeah, that's a good idea. There's um, one of the things that I started doing for a little while and then stopped and then want to start doing again is I have like a uh, one of those coloring books. <clears throat> so from like... Coloring is awesome. Yeah, so like from 8 o'clock on or something, it'll be like no phone, no computer, just do coloring instead. So you're not looking at like a screen, you're looking at like pages and doing something else. Instead of taking in all the information that's constantly coming in. Yeah, we have to we have to self-regulate because, I mean, no one's going to, unless you're a child 
and your parents come in and turn off your computer. No one's going to do it for you. And we're like, look, if we're being real, we're all we're all kind of big dumb babies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And all the big dumb babies are on the Internet all the time. And again, it's that it's that always online habit that also fosters the behavior of if you're frustrated and you feel like your life is circling the drain, you start taking it out on other people rather than taking accountability for what you're doing in your own life, which is spending on time time online attacking other people rather than doing things for yourself. Like I, I had to break up with a friend uh, who came after me um, because she was really mad that her career hadn't progressed. And I just mm. like Ugh. very, it, it just very, and yes, you're ugh, because we all know those people. <laughs> but again, like you can't take it, per- it's not about you. It's no. never about you. I had, I like, I had to very, very plainly state Whatever you have to say to me is not going to change your life right now. You are you are spending minutes of your life, hours of your life that you're never going to get back uh, on attacking me. And it might make you feel better right now. But long time, long term, over time, it changes nothing. Mm-hmm. And and then you have to like, kind of like cut it off and just be like, I'm in the same in the same way that we're like I blocked that guy who's mad about his life but taking out on me it's like I'm not I can't be your target practice dude sorry yeah that's a very mature way of going about things I have a problem myself with not rising to the bait on you know YouTube comments and things like that well just I think the 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 more you shove your own mortality in your face and everyone else's face because look we're all we're all gonna die (laughs) our time is limited and if you want to spend it reading and posting in common threads that's okay but you're never gonna get that time back Mm -hmm. so and you know i'm speaking for myself like i'm I'm saying these things because like i've also like i have a google alert for myself and lately that google alert sends me links to message boards and threads and and comments and, and like uh, just like I have to draw the line where it's like I'm not doing this anymore. I had um, I got sent to a thread where s- mul- multiple people got were really mad and posted at length about how I posted that the Mass Effect team is working weekends and how I should <laughs> shut the fuck up about that and how dare I? Jeez. Oh. Let's... And I'm like, that's the last time I click on a link to a thread about yeah. me. Because I, if if you think, if you think I'm a bitch and a bad person for pointing out that developers are working nights and weekends for your benefit, I can't help you. Yeah, can't help you. Like, there's just nothing. There's nothing for me to do. If that's if that is, if that's the thing you pick up a flag for. All right. <laughs> okay, that's your life. So, yeah, so, you know, and this is all really recent. So I am also, you know, I'm in the process of disengaging a bit more from the Internet and definitely disengaging from absorbing and reading about myself because ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all new to me, too. Like, I haven't been in a Mass Effect game before. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, nobody, like, I didn't also get a manual on how to cope. Uh. (laughs) <laughs> and what to and what to prepare for and things that are going to happen and be said. I'm just all taking it in as it's happening. So uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely got to be just 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 some sort of 
balance for myself and my own sanity and just be like, okay, well, this is, this is the level of engagement that I'm willing to, to participate in. So like, for example, I don't think I'll ever do a Reddit MMA. MMA? (laughs) See, that's a slip. I'm just ready to go fight. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I'll ever do a Reddit AMA because it's just, uh, no, well, my husband put it really well. He's like, Reddit can become like YouTube thread comments without the video. Yeah. It's just the comments. <laughs> yeah. <forever. laughs> uh, so I'm, I've, I, I think I've been more useful and productive doing stuff like interviews like this one-on-one. Hmm. Um, and people don't actually talk to me that often. Like they don't at me that often on Twitter. So the few times that they do, I'm happy to respond to questions and say hi or whatever. Cause it's totally easy and manageable. Um, it's like I just did um, the, the Get Coins or Die Trying podcast, and we talked a lot about empathy. They were asking, I mean, that podcast is run by two men, and they were great. And they were like, can you explain to us what the female experience is like online, what's like for you as a woman, and why you think this happens? And 100%, I think it's just lack of empathy. In, in the world, when you get in someone's face and you say something, you have to deal with the consequences then and there. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with their emotional reaction, the the faces that they make, uh, uh, if they have a retort. You have to deal with it in real time. You can't run away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Online, say what you want, leave it when you want, walk away, watch it all burn. You don't have to deal with somebody's, you don't have to deal with anything, nothing. Yeah. So it becomes habit of like, I can say and do whatever I want, bitch, and I don't have to deal with your shit. And we're all programmed now to do that. And that's not being human that's mm-hmm. being an ass <laughs> just 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 thousands millions of assholes online at once saying posting whatever because they don't have to deal with consequences so i'm like of course people are going to say whatever they want to say because they don't have to deal with me yeah and i'm yeah. terrifying <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'm terrifying so i get it so now that's where they're at so uh you know, whereas if like, if you get like right now, if you guys were like to corner me with something negative, you'd have to deal with whatever I have to say because you mm-hmm. asked for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you asked for it. Yeah. But that kind of confrontation for most people is really off putting and scary and nerve wracking. And like, they're not good. They're not going to do that. That's why people break up with other people in text messages and emails and phone calls and post notes because they're too scared of the confrontation. They don't they don't want to deal with their partner's reaction. Or why people deliver bad news in public spaces because it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to control the amount of empathy I have to feel for you by controlling your emotions. That's just manipulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, just, just be, be, be smarter than the internet. I guess is what I'm saying. That's where we're at. <laughs> All right. So, um, going back to Mass Effect a little bit, um. The brother-sister dynamic is something new from Bioware in that both writers are coexisting in the game. Um, was there anything in particular that captured that feeling? I know you've done the video that just came out recently, um, but was there anything in the like production side? Like, did you even know who your brother was? Um, so we've we've mentioned uh, here and there, and I've said it's because it does it is because Tom loves he loves bragging that I broke NDA. But I will say <laughs> in my defense, it's just like uh, LA is really small. This community is really small, and 
in the same way where, you know, we, we don't get to work with actors, but if actors are like scheduled back to back, you pass people in the parking lot or whatever. You're like, Hey, Oh, Hey, you're, are you on this too? Awesome. How's it going for you? Yeah. I'm having a great time. Like that's, that's common too, mm-hmm. where you happen to cross paths with somebody. And with Tom, it, it was just as simple as we were trying to have lunch. And he mentioned he's at this studio at this place at this time. And I was like, we're on the same game. Like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't front with me, dude. Don't front with me. I know we're on the same game. And I like, BS him and famously played I didn't even get to 20 questions I was just like is your game in space and he was all squirreling he's like maybe <laughs> like is it being directed from Canada maybe yeah well okay <laughs> and from there on the story is just I said was like oh Tom I'm so sorry I'm so sorry to have to hashtag humble brag this but I'm ooh, ooh, awkward I'm the player character and he was like um I'm the player character oh. <laughs> and that was just a fun conversation that we didn't see coming and I know Tom from Octodad. Tom was Octodad. I played his daughter and all the women. He was Octodad and all the men. And then we always mention um, Anne Sonneville, who's out of Chicago, where Tom is from. She was the mother and the son. Um, so Tom and I knew each other from there, from the internet. And then Tom moved out here uh, a year and a half ago. And the first thing he booked is Mass Effect. So mm. probably the right move. Mm-hmm. Um, so he moved out here with his, with his wife and two kids and two dogs and everything. Um, so like big big life shift for him but obviously it was the right direction Mm. um so that all worked out and then um i have said i i do think some of some of the work is is already there in that because tom and i have a real life rapport playing brother and sister is just that much easier Mm. Uh, and again like going back to what we were saying earlier about you know you see the same people being cast again over and over again like first thing that comes to mind is what i refer to as the brat pack which is Something that people over 30 and 40 will remember, but under 20 have no idea. In Hollywood in the 80s and 90s, the Brat Pack was this clutch of young, attractive actors that were getting all the work over and over again, primarily in stuff like the film St. Elmo's, Elmo's Fire, for example. And this is a young a young and handsome Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, uh, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, like this, this, this group of white, shiny, attractive actors who were in the same... 15 films over and over again mm-hmm. with interchangeable roles and we have we certainly have a brat pack in vo we have troy baker and laura bailey and travis willingham and uh, like basically the critical role <laughs> team all these people but it's like it's what i went back to earlier it's like well no they've proven themselves they're reliable they're well known so it's just easier to call them if you can afford it than calling someone you don't know to do something um and uh you have so many games where they're set up to already have some of the relationships they have so like laura bailey is married to travis willingham and those two and uh troy baker all came out of texas and the dallas area came up doing like uh um anime adr dubbing through i believe funimation if you can do adr which is additional dialogue recording so that's dubbing so something's already been recorded and you hear through pro tools beep 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 and then you have to record over it if you can do that well and give a good performance on command you can do anything which is why anybody who comes out of anime is a monster Hmm. if you're good at that you can you can do anything in your sleep um so those that that crew has known them known each other for ever since since before their careers really started and then they come out here and then they get cast in stuff like um help me guys sucker punches game um Uh. the one where uh laura play it was an infamous where laura played oh, um yeah uh she plays um 
The girl was it, the, with the lightning. Was, Not the lightning, but the neon stuff. Was it infamous? Shoot. Yeah, because Troy Baker is yeah. the lead. First uh, Travis is the brother. Yeah. And exactly. Fetch, so, that's her name. Fetch. So Fetch. Laura plays Fetch. Her love interest is Troy. <laughs> He's <laughs> <Yeah>. their best <laughs> friend. And then Travis Willingham plays Troy's brother. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. But also, like, I heard, like, I watched an interview and saw that, like, Travis was on set when Laura and Troy had a makeout. I'm like, well, that's, mm, I'm <laughs> oh, glad that gosh. wasn't my job. <laughs> um, but also, here I am telling my husband, I can't wait to meet all the people I had sex with in space. So, you know, <laughs> acting. It's awkward for everybody. So, when you've already, I mean, so, like, in their case, they've already have a rapport and a relationship. So, it's not a stretch for Troy and Travis to act like brothers. They basically are. Mm. So, um, so, so much of the heavy lifting is, is immersing yourself in a world and a situation and the character's background that hasn't actually happened to you. And you have to like pull threads of like, okay, well, I've had these life experiences. So this is how I would react in this situation. It's just, it's just so, it's like driving automatic versus manual. Manual is doing all this manual gear shifting of like, okay, well, I have to feel like this now. And I have to feel like this now. And automatic, you just do it. The car just goes. Um, so I, I think that definitely applied to Tom and me where it's like the car just went. We already... we already know how we talk to each other and then us being um even in the script it's labeled like you play as you're the the hero player or you're Mm -hmm. the sibling who's not the pathfinder yeah um so we would go through scenes and then flip it and it's like the scene that i just performed as the pathfinder i would go back and perform as the sibling Ah. and then sometimes against tom's vo which they already recorded as the pathfinder or as a sibling Hmm. okay so, I mean, hopefully, hopefully all that effort shows in the work where it just feels as real and as organic as possible. But I, I do think it, it just helps a lot that we already, I know what I'm like when I talk to Tom. Tom knows <laughs> what he's like when he talks to me and what he expects of me. And like when the eyebrows get raised and when we jab each other, you know, just stuff like that. Like you yeah. talking to any of your friends, like, you know. So we didn't have to pretend what this anonymous actor that we've never met would be like to work with. <laughs> It's just, it really does help. And, and Bioware didn't mean to. They had, Bioware didn't know anything about Octodad or the connection. Like, we told them eventually because we were just kind of dying to. We were like, hey, by the way, we know that we're on it. And did you know that we were on Octodad and that we're friends? <laughs> <laughs> and they had no idea. And they thought that was pretty funny and cool. So that's where we're at. So it, it helped a lot. But, I mean, it's all dumb luck, dumb coincidence. Yeah. Seems pretty fortunate. Like, I was watching, I watched the sibling rivalry video um and i was like man that is how i am like with my brothers so <laughs> yay <laughs> if I'm it's glad as, we yeah it. if the game is as close as as the the youtube video was then i think you guys will you'll be fine i'm yeah. sure i mean i'm sure you will because you're professionals and you're already <laughs> good at it but <laughs> well but that's where that's where the hollywood aspect comes in like you can give a really great performance as a cop because you're going through human emotions, but then a cop watches it and is like, that's not what it's like. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, we did our best. Sorry. <laughs> that, that, that is where it comes from. Like you, Or, you know, uh, soldiers watching a war movie and they're like, that's not what it's like. Well, these are people who will never see combat doing their best to pretend to be combat. It's, it's as close as we could get. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad. Um, let's see. Uh... We have, I think, a few more questions, and then and then that'll be it. Um, I don't know how much 
if you have a time limit or i make time for y'all i am happy to no it's not um... over until the fat space lady sings <laughs> okay cool um so we've got um a listener question um and i think the last couple are going to be listener questions and then and then we'll be done um so uh musty hobbit asks <laughs> that sounds like a condition that you yeah. should see a doctor for i think um they ask uh how i guess you might have already answered it um like talking previously but um he asks how the mass effect universe stacks up against other roles you've taken on and what what you hope for the series going forward well, there's just, again, Bioware, there's just nothing like it because so many other jobs, my, you know, the whole being fired every day thing, like my relationship, my relationships are in one to four hour increments. And I say, hey, so nice to meet you. We're going to be best friends. We're going to get this done and it's going to be awesome. And then we get done and I say thank you and I may never see them again. Whereas with Mass Effect, the Stockholm Syndrome is strong. <laughs> like it feels weird going in to the same studio where we recorded a lot of the work and having a different director and a different engineer. And it's like, oh. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like you come out of it very Kimmy Schmidt. I need to be with my bunker sisters. <laughs> um, just the, the there's so much. Like the world is so expansive, and there's so many characters and relationships. And I went to so many planets. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I I had to explore this whole universe in full for you to be in my body with my voice and my mouth sounds and my SpaceX and go have all the things and have the adventures and choose your adventure and stuff. Um, <laughs> and I just don't often ever have that opportunity to do it you can't do all that and cover that much ground in another four-hour session by itself it's just not possible mm. um so it's uh i believe mac walters or so somebody from bioware has already said that this was never this was never meant to be a trilogy it's always been um planned as a one-off it's and the way i'm explaining it is like i think it's like the rogue one of mass effect it's an independent story it's an independent story within the the universe of Mass Effect, like Rogue One is within the universe of Star Wars, mm -hmm. but it's its own little side story. Hmm. So, That's, you know, it's, I'm actually kind of, I'm glad <laughs> I didn't want another, you know, long, long, long series of games. That being said, uh -oh. no film, well, <laughs> look, money is money and True. no film, no film in Hollywood sets out to be a trilogy if the, if the first and the second didn't also make money. Mm. And that's just, that's just the thing made the money and the people who own it came back and said, you're going to make more. Yeah. Oh God. Um, <laughs> and that's out of everybody's, that's out of everybody's hands. You know, if it makes a lot of money and EA says you're going to make more money, Bioware is like, cool, going to keep the lights on. Let's get to work. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's just that's just business. So I don't know. I don't know. It depends on on how it goes. But I do know that the intention was very rogue one-y. Um, especially like Mass Effect, just like Star Wars, has set all the groundwork of this is how the world functions. These are how the different species interact with each other. Mm. Um, or like Star Trek or anything else where it's like we have we have a universe to play inside of. Well, let's do that. Let's let's go to a little different pocket, a little different corner with a different. Um, group of characters and see how they behave within this universe with its rules mm -hmm. um, so uh, all that groundwork was already laid for me like I didn't get to I didn't get to show up and decide how humans react to 
Krogans and whatever else. Like, that stuff's already been set for me. But, you know, that's also super fun. Like, I don't think, like, John Boyega or Daisy Ridley got the call that they were going to be in Star Wars. We're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't really know. Like, I don't really get to establish anything. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't, uh, I can't make it my I'd own. Re- I don't know if I want. Right. I, it's not original. Like, no, <laughs> like they were like, this is, a, this is awesome. I get to, I get to play in something that I played in, in my head as a kid. It's the same thing. Like, um, uh, a thing that you hear a lot when you get into VO, but it really, it's, it's just a, it's a side effect of typecasting. Like some people get annoyed with typecasting, but typecasting is the best thing that can happen to you. Typecasting is the thing that you do that you offer resonates so hard with people so loudly that they're, they're willing to hire you to do that thing over and over again for money. That's great. That's so great that you have a distinct flavor for a distinct use, usage. That's so lucky because it's better than being really bland and people don't know what to do with you because you don't, mm. you know, like you don't exude a specific flavor. So we don't know what to put you in like if you're not salt i don't know what to use you for and salt goes in everything or maybe you're paprika and paprika is only used very specifically but it's a very strong flavor it's very much like that so typecasting is great uh and you don't believe it when you start vo but again like if you if you do film or or tv or anything on camera you start to understand the, the typecasting phenomenon more um, in VO because it's not about what you look like in your face and your body type and your age and your gender um, the th- you get cast more often than not for being who you are for your your own the closest to your organic personality and voice and attitude more than anything else like um, Nolan North is the first to say that Nathan Drake is just him hmm. and that's the thing that's one of the um, first things he got cast for in games and there's no adjustment there it's just him reacting to having that experience being in that world mm-hmm. and that's what resonates the most with people and that's why he kept getting hired because it it works and you don't believe that like people think that they have to do that VO is about doing voices and making crazier voices and it couldn't be further from the truth so for me I get I end up I'm in a lot of space games I'm in space a lot <laughs> um, I'm a lippy broad a lot because I am like I, I very often um, I've played villains for both DC and Marvel independently of each other and they don't know that you know between the two of them but that's the thing that I do that they feel independent parties feel that I do well that resonates the loudest with them hmm. and that's great I'm so happy that I can fulfill that role for multiple clients in multiple universes and they still feel like I'm doing a good fresh original job enough to hire me. So um, with Mass Effect, it's certainly the same thing where it's like, I'm a, I'm a space nerd and I'm, and I can be brave and have bravado and also be vulnerable and just like have that full range of human emotions. And then even more so in Mass Effect, it's my job for your benefit as the player to have the full spectrum of reactions because that's the game. The game is you having your option for reactions, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's my job to, rather than pushing a really strong flavor in a really strong direction, to be reactive and vulnerable and just play off of everyone else's really strong uh, flavor. Like, I mean, I keep using Krogan, but that's, for me, Krogan is like, Klingon is like anything else where it's like, oh, that is very specific, yeah? 
Like, yeah. <laughs> you encounter a Krogan or a Klingon or something else. It's something that's pushed in a very, very far distinct direction. And you already know what the rules are of, like, what to expect from them, how you're, how they're going to react to you, how you're probably going to react to them. And that's really all, that's all extremely useful information as an actor. Um, it just, it helps out a lot. Or, like, what Torian behavior is like, or all the different races. Again, Star Trek, Star Wars, or or Lord of the Rings, like... A dwarf character appear like this is this goes back to D and D, which is of course all derived from Lord of the Rings. Like a dwarf appears, you already have these expectations, mm-hmm. and then if you're a human, you already know kind of how you're going to react to, feel about, play with that dwarf. You, this, this is just us being humans having these preconceived notions, um, and then you run with it because you have this template to work off of. So how lucky was I that I got to do this in Mass Effect with more races than I can think of to count, oh my god, um, versus just, like, um, not to poo-poo other properties, but, like, if you have something as lame as, like, it's just humans and it's just orcs, yeah. well, <laughs> it's just the humans and now it's the orcs, now it's the humans and now it's the orcs, and over and over and, over, and it's like a tennis match. Mm-hmm. Again, this is me projecting, I don't watch tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how it works. Yeah. All right. Are there any particular franchises that you'd like to work with in the future? All of them. Uh, (laughs) Pay me. It's it's like a. It's it's like I just said. It's like a joke, but yeah, beam me up to space whenever. Because I think I I think I personally live more in sci-fi. Um, like most of my favorite movies are in either like really high sci-fi or really high fantasy. So you know. Mm. Put put me in the La La Lands as far from, like, again, like, who you are is who people subconsciously uh, identify and cast you as. Like, I don't, I don't play a lot of, like, um, gritty, real-world grounded uh, characters that often. I've certainly gone in for, like, callbacks and auditions and stuff, but doesn't happen too often. I usually end up in these really kind of far-fetched scenarios. Because that's what I like to do. That's also the media I consume. I'm into it. Um, so more of those, please. Uh, it's actually, you guys are making me think of like something maybe that I haven't done that I like to do. <laughs> um, you know what would be really great? Because I don't think we've had this in games. Uh, some kind of procedural that's kind of X-Files-y. Where mm. you've got, like, I can't, th- off the top of my head, I can't think of any games that are... Um, good like buddy cop style games where you go through like either an RPG. There's certainly stuff where like you play off of a cast like um, Metal Gear for example where like you're an operative and you're dependent on other operatives and you have relationships with different operatives and then you go on the thing you get the thing and you shoot the person and whatever and that's fine. Um, but something like, like X-Files where it's this very specific um buddy relationship and then you dump those two buddies with their their personalities again in this scenario and how does it play out i think that would be super fun i would love to do um something something long term where i have a lot of opportunity to play off of another person with their distinct personalities and then go through all that because and maybe that's just also me wishing i could do more ensemble Mm. and just working with another person because that's so much more fun um do you have a favorite voiceover artist like that you're like maybe a big fan of or someone that you look up to? I have different different heroes for different reasons. When I was a kid, uh, 
the only voice actor I knew of was Mel Blanc because he was the name that you saw at the end of every Looney Tunes cartoon doing 17 different voices. <laughs> like, and I think, I think it's because of Mel Blanc's legacy that a lot of people also feel like they can't be a voice actor if they can't do 17 different voices. That's garbage. Like, if you look at um, some of the, the most um, known, well-paid, popular voice actors, like Keith David only does Keith David, and he <laughs> does true. Keith David very well. No one's ever complained that James Earl Jones sounds too James Earl Jonesy, <laughs> yeah, and doesn't do anything else. Being a one note isn't a problem if you're a very strong one note. And again, typecasting is great, um, or just having that really strong flavor because it's memorable and it's endearing, and people want to hear it and and play within their universe and all that. That's fantastic. Um, no one has ever told me that I have a remarkable voice. No one has ever listened to me and been like, you should work in voiceover. Um, and as a result, I get a lot of like conversational, um, conversational non-cartoony roles. Also like the, the whole concept of cartoony quote unquote has definitely moved away, especially since adventure time showed up. Mm. Um, that's definitely not zany, wacky, crazy sounding voices. It's very natural acting. So as a result, a lot of um, stand up comics are being cast for cartoons and like non-actors and by non-actor that doesn't necessarily mean people can't act but maybe people who don't come from like a theater or film background who aren't hammy who aren't prepared they sound more raw and natural and conversational and you believe them because it doesn't matter because the voice is coming out of an anthropomorphic bird <laughs> you don't it's like no kid has ever watched a cartoon and been like, eh, I don't really believe it because that voice isn't zany enough. I need, just, I need more zane in my cartoons. They just, you, you accept it at face value because the performance is good. The actor believed it, so you believed it. That's, that's the magic sauce. If you believe it, we believe it at the end. If you don't believe what's happening, we don't buy it either, which is where the whole faking is bad thing comes, um, comes from. Um, so Mel Blanc for his versatility, but like I said, that's just not, that's not a realistic aspiration and it's also not necessary to be successful or profitable. It's ridiculous. Um, I have to think like performance wise, I have them and I forget them. <laughs> There's just people with amazing voices like Kathleen Turner. I like, as a kid I, in high school, I purposely started, I started pushing down my register cause I wanted to sound like Kathleen Turner, which is ridiculous because <laughs> Kathleen Turner speaks from the bottom of a well. <laughs> I think growing up with like Ro Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit just mm. kind of did a number. Maybe maybe just some be, maybe women of my generation, I don't know. But that's certainly just the whole, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. You just thought like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I want to do that. Um, now that I'm on this side of, of the business, my idols are definitely less about what I think of their performances and their like the zaniness of their range and more about their personality and their their work ethic uh mm -hmm. liam o'brien gave me the time of day gave me attention and gave me courtesy before he before i could do anything for anyone when i was like completely unknown i just showed up and i just started working and he had just like heard some murmurs about me and then talked to me for a minute and he was like you me we should do lunch and he's just been nothing but um, incredibly just I, I can't wrap my head around it. And every time I start to stutter, he's like, shut up, you know why. <laughs> but um, and anybody who's successful in any creative career has had at some point a mentor 
or just one person who gave them the time of day before you thought your work was good, before you were making money for yourself or for other people, before anybody knew your name. It only takes one person. Or if you're in school or college, it only takes one teacher to just give you the time of day and just say like, you're good. You're worth it. You should keep going. Mm -hmm. Liam O'Brien was definitely that for me when he didn't owe me. And he's been just like, I, I still have a hard time um, swallowing his good wishes because they're <laughs> just like, because before Mass Effect, he was just like, you're going to do really well. You're going to do, you're going to do big, big, big jobs. And I was just like, shut up. <laughs> because... Because thinking of the pressure beforehand is sort of crushing. Mm. Like I don't get stage fright and stuff. Like my adrenaline, my adrenaline just spikes when, when I show up to a job, I feel like a football player. Like I'm, let's go, let's go. I'm like I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm there to fight and get it done for you and get out. Because um, that's what's required of me. But if you start to overload me with like expectation and, and pressure, I just want to hide under a desk and do nothing. Mm. Um, so much so, so like when I when I got cast for a Mass Effect. And I, in games, you don't get told what you're working on. You're just, everything's a code name and you're like, show up at this studio at this time. So I showed up at that studio at that time. And then I get in the booth and nobody's, nobody was there. The client was Skyping in. It's a studio I've worked at a lot. I knew the engineers. And then Caroline Livingstone comes on. She's like, hi, Frida. So great to have you here. Well, welcome to Mass Effect. You're the player character. Let's oh get started. <laughs> <laughs> I had <laughs> no, no warning no two minutes like there it was i mean i'm not exaggerating it was literally that it was five seconds like hi Oof. frida so great to meet you and have you here and this is like on skype it's not a video so she's just piped in yeah um welcome to mass effect you're the player character let's get started wow. there's no time for me to like get my bouquet and my crown and have the mascara running like that's not <laughs> there's no time there's no there's no miss america in in vo <laughs> So I just like, my head like breaks off and whips around to the engineers and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they're just like, mm, they just shrug and they're like, I don't know, man, you're on your own. <laughs> so the way I cope with like for the first good six months of work, I just told my, I even told my agents, I was like, I must have misheard <laughs> and I'm too scared to ask. <laughs> so I think what happens, I think what's happening, and this is like not a crazy assumption. I think what's happening is that they're having me do temp VO because very often you'll hire um, someone who's like cheap, easy and, and like not super busy and schedulable to come in and just do temp stuff. And then you get it in the game and see if it works. And then you do rewrites and then you hire your stunt casting, like your film actor or whatever to do the thing. Mm. So the way I coped with it, I was just like, I don't think I'm fine. I must have misheard. I must be temp. <laughs> so I could still treat it subconsciously like a job and not like a really big deal. Yeah, not like the big and monster not feel, that is. Massive. Yeah, and not feel the pressure of expectation and not feel like, mm. like you can't, and it's like that with anything. Like you can't look at, you can't look at the end game before doing the work you can't be like what are people gonna think before you've you know put one foot out in front of the other that's ridiculous mm -hmm. so that's how i've coped with it so now that it's it's done i'm just like <laughs> now it's the other end of like well i can't change anything it mm -hmm. is what it is so all i could do during production is just make sure that i showed up and did my best every day so um just going back to the question, that's where I come from now. Like my, the, my heroes and the people I look up to like Liam are the people who have 
amazing, respectable, well-respected work ethic. They show up, they're polite, they're on time, they get it done. They're reliable, they're good to their coworkers. Liam as a director is ex insanely supportive of his actors um, and just leads by example. And that's the most I can hope for. It's just the same thing of like, you know, never get a big head, don't put on an attitude. Understand that it took lots of people's time and effort and money to get to even to like book a recording session. So respect everybody in the pipeline, including your end, you know, always make friends with your engineers, be nice to your directors, thank the writers, all that stuff. And I think that is long term way more important than the work itself or the money you walk away with. Because, again, the only thing that people remember is how you made them feel. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Um, just going back to that first day in the booth when you found out that you were on Mass Effect, like, what kind of information did they give you? I mean, other than that, like, did they tell you anything about the setting or the world or your character? Like, any kind of, did you know what your character looked like? Did you know what her family was? Like, or was it just like, all right, let's 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 get to it? Need to know basis. Okay. Just a need to know basis of, like, today we're doing this scene. Um, here's your dad. This is what's happened. Go. <laughs> Okay. So I basically got the story in chunks. And even then, you know, to date, I only know the relevant bits that, that affected the scenes that I was in. Mm -hmm. I don't know about anybody else's scene. I mean, you know, Tom and I diverge in, in certain places, and I don't know how those scenes went for Tom. I have no idea. Mm. Uh, so stuff like that. So very, very much need to know. Also, I don't think that's necessarily so much for security reasons as, like, it's too big. The story yeah. is too big. If I don't need to know, we don't have time to tell me. Yeah. You'd be given they'd be giving you like a novel to read through, basically. Yeah, no, it's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. It's just it would be just on the day, oh hey, where there's there's this scene. Um, do we have a screenshot of the character? Cool. No, here's we have a oh cool, we have this concept art. This is the character you're talking to. Um, this is what's been going on. Um the, this outpost has been through XYZ things. Okay, go. And we just, you know, time permitting, chunk it out that way per scene, per scene, per scene, per scene. Yeah. Again, it's like, again, like Rogue One. Do you have time to tell me the history of Tatooine? <laughs> Probably not. Am I on Tatooine at any point? No? Cool. Skipping it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can do that on my own time. <laughs> it's just too big. I mean, it's very diff. If you're going through an intimate, an intimate, small, tiny story with a limited cast we have time for all that yeah. you just don't with something this big it's not possible um <clears throat> i think our next question is our last question but it's not mass effect related at all <laughs> oh no <laughs> um so uh this question is actually from my boyfriend cronus on twitter um hi cronus hi cronus he asked uh what was it like working with Octodad? And in your professional opinion, is he the deadliest catch? He's the deadliest catch. He's also a real dad because <laughs> he's got his two kids. He's just dally dally. Well, like I said, we didn't unfortunately get to work together. But um, as Tom has said elsewhere, um, you know, nobody else knew. And, yeah. uh, and, and the NDA is real. <laughs> And you can't you can't shitty chat with your friends about stuff until it's out there. So um, it was nice to be able to talk about it with each other. And often we would be tag teaming and um, 
because generally uh, this is part of the reason why you can only be a full-time voice actor in LA studios or clients will book out um, a room in a studio for the day and it's like well we're not going to make an exception for you if you're not there like we we paid for the day show up um, so very often um, if one of us was recording in the morning the other would be recording in the afternoon mm -hmm. And it was just nice to like text and be like, hey, have a good session today. You too, man. Because we can't tell anybody else. Yeah. Or just ask about like, so what did you what did you record today? We did these things. Oh, I haven't gotten there yet. And then like the next day, you know, whoever was in next would do those scenes, whatever it was. So it was just nice to have um, the, the, the commisery of it. <laughs> Especially for uh, something that big and that yeah. like, well-known. I feel like it'd be good to have a, a fellow person that you could talk to. Well, because otherwise it's it's very lonely and it's obviously like, you know, an exciting thing that we're proud and honored to have been a part of and all that good stuff. And you just, you got to hold that in if you're by yourself. Yeah. So there's just nothing to be done about that. Um, so yeah, so uh, it's pretty special. It's nice to have gone on this journey with a friend. It's just not an everyday thing. It's a very special, random thing that happened for us. All right. So I think that's it for our questions. This is definitely going to go down as the longest <laughs> episode of Media Mavens. Uh, Good job, you ladies. You <laughs> outdid the boys. <laughs> you, we've, we outlasted the, uh, the get coins or die trying, boys. Oh, Woo! wow. <laughs> I Time to do some cardio for that stamina, boys. Pick it up. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Or, oh, did you want to say something? Like yeah, I, I, have, I have like one last thing. Is, okay. um, is there anything that you want to say to people who are looking forward to playing the game? Like, um, I don't know, like fans of the series or, or anything that you want to... I just hope, I hope you enjoy it. Like, again, just, it, it this is, this is our Rogue One. Uh, <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing... Oh, Lord, where do you start with fans? <laughs> um, nothing, nothing is ever going to replace what's already been done. Nothing is taking that away from you. In the same way where, you know, all, all going forward, new, um, new media coming forward for Star Trek and Star Wars is never going to erase or run over with a dump truck all of your memories and emotions um, that you had to the original properties and experiences. Those are yours to keep forever. Hold on to those. Don't let go of those. Those are your precious babies. I hope that you are open to and can enjoy something new. Some, some, someone else's new precious baby. And maybe it can be your precious baby too. Be <laughs> open to new precious babies. There's no limit to all the precious babies you can have. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for you. Me too. I've already booked the day off work did you oh, out, i should yeah. do that <laughs> oh yeah no i've seen people take photos of like their google calendar time <laughs> off or paid time off forms it's pretty cute i'm excited <laughs> yeah all right so thank you so much for joining yes. us today frida it was a lot of fun i learned a lot about voice acting and you mm -hmm. were a great guest anytime <laughs> yeah. thanks for having me ladies uh if people want to reach you on your website or twitter you want to tell them where they can Sure, it's my name with too many F's, F-R-Y-D-A-W-O-L-F-F, -F, or on Twitter at FridaWolf.com. Frida we sent you there already. No, it's just my name, <laughs> my name, and more my name. I try to make it easy. If you want to come at me, I'm very comatable. Um, my Twitter handle is just at FridaWolf, and I will see you there. All right, and Riley, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Kaleri, it's K-A-L-E-R-I with an underscore. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Josila underscore or on YouTube where my channel is Cannot Be Tamed. And if you have any feedback, questions, people, or topics you want to hear on future episodes of the show, you can reach out at MediaMavensCast at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at underscore MediaMavens. And please, if you like the show, give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye!